The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 348. Hi, is everyone doing? Good. Well, let's see. Let's start We're in here, the chat huh? today. Uh, Tim Franklin, who showed up uh, at minus an hour. Um, Sixty been in the chat. Marco, Michael Ziff. How do you pronounce that? Ziffel? Gazoon hype. Okay. <laughs> Eight bits in the basement. Canadian retro things. Marco on Twitch. Coco Living's Wayne. We got Mark Siegel joining us today. <clears throat> and random Facebook user Tom Mary That's Gunderson. Me also. <laughs> uh, hey, see. I'm on all platforms. All right, Keith March. And Franklin, Kevin Holloway, Dave and Sharon. On the panel today, we've got uh, a button to push first. There we go. All right. I don't know how you managed it, but you're in the first corner, Marco. Hey, I'm on all platforms. <laughs> I think that's yours, in his contract. Yours truly over here. We got Rick Uland. You're muted, Rick, or you're really quiet. <laughs> Go! <laughs> Howdy, everyone. Like, that was your cue. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ken Waters. Hello, everybody. And next up, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And Henry Gernhardt. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Coco Nation. Today, I'm using filtering, not Vox Control, so I don't have to worry about dropouts. Woo! <laughs> okay. And Terry Stiggy. Also hey, Coco Nation. All right, Jason, the Coco Man. Hello, hello, hello. And uh I still have my diet, Dr. Pepper. <laughs> All right. And Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. Hello. Yeah, Grant Leedy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Yeah, Brian Weasler. Hello, welcome Nick to the show. Brent Nick Barentes. Hey, everyone. 
And popping in at the last second, Brian Shubring. Hello, hello, hello. Everybody can hear me, I hope, and welcome to this show. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Today, first up, we're going to do project updates. So let me flip my screens. And I think, Rick, you were up first. Oh, fair enough. In which case, um, Henry Strickland has been doing things on the cocoa again. And uh, this time he's come up with a proof of concept that we're going to call the Strict Time Media Player for 6809. Um, that's exactly what it is. And if I know which monitor it's on, which could be this one, then uh, we'll. Uh... So this is a cocoa connected to over the Ethernet to New York City streaming this familiar commercial. New York City. New York City. Get a rope. So this is uh, 128 by 96, 16 colors. Uh, the palettes aren't optimized. Nothing is optimized. It's just kind of a proof of concept of video over the Ethernet. I even okay. did some, uh, some uh, let's see if I can... Where's the actual cocoa? There's the cocoa. Okay. So this is a live, so it's going to blow up completely, but we'll give it a shot. Yeah, live demo should, you're tempting fate with a live demo. I can guarantee it won't blue screen. It might green, <laughs> it might green screen though. It might green screen, but it won't blue screen. So here he's got a bunch of things. Uh, he's managed to i haven't finished the tool chain Eddie. he put everything on github to, to do your own videos and okay. i'll tell you what rather than sit through this because You'll notice a conspicuous absence of fast forward buttons and things like that right now. Um, so I will go to one I've prepared earlier. Do you have the like matrix the unleashed? So th this is what you get. Huh. Well, not the best video you ever saw, but uh, to start. Now, do you, you mean do you mean this? Do you mean the Coco video or this show? Well, both. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a video of this. Well, of the show's previous show. I don't know if that's polite or not, but you could do it. Well, here I'll I'll show you part of it. Let's see. Now, if you could, you know, if you could pull like a whole thing where you get the live video from the show on there right now. Well, then we'll have uh, kind of like that. It'd be like Spaceballs. No, you're at now now. <laughs> when will this so, yeah. be now? We just missed it. The Zoom client needs a little work yet, but, uh, you know, we're getting there. So anyway. That's, that's where we're at. It's uh, moving right along and 
Now, is that still using TCP IP or is that UDP now? Yes, there's, he hasn't really he talked about all kinds of ways to make it better, you know, bigger buffers and UDP and all kinds of many, many things. This was just a, will it work? Well, it supports both. But, it does. So, so now, you know, how, and I, I'm pretty sure that Henry doesn't want to devote his life to making a video client. So he's putting everything on GitHub and I'm sure one of the rest of us is going to have to actually turn it into a full featured appliance, but uh, man, for a quick knock it out, proof of concept, I'm just flabbergasted. Cool. Hey, tell you what, before we uh, get into Brian, um, there are those people that were kind of expecting a little different show today. Mark, maybe uh, this is a good time for announcement. Oh, yep. So um, basically people that I lined up for doing uh, uh, the virtual fest, uh, basically conflicts and unfortunately couldn't show up so we pushed it out a month basically so it'll be 24th to 25th of february and i do have a few people that have said that they uh, that would work for them so i'm getting those people scheduled and uh you'll find it on the calendar we have at the coco nation there's our uh, show calendar and you'll see there's some links there to uh, um basically pulls off a google calendar and you see some slots right now they just all say pending but eventually there'll be some stuff out so anyway if there's if there's somebody that wants to do a project, how how would they go about reaching out to you? Oh, that's secret. Oh, no. Um, you reach out to me on Facebook, uh, any of the announcements I put out about this. Uh, I have a, a email set up, uh, cocotech at thecoconation.com will get to me as well. Uh, or you can post on uh, the Discord or uh, send me an email if you happen to have that. Some people do. Some people don't. But, you know, I'm on, you know, Facebook and Discord and, and here. So, and you can send messages here too. I mean, to the, the show, and they'll get forwarded to me. Okay, so uh, looking at uh, February twenty fourth and twenty fifth for the virtual Coco Fest. Av available slots. Yep. Okay. So, uh, so that's why everyone's just stuck with us today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So it could Brian. Be worse. So, Brian, you had something to show us. So what okay, what was, you got that's going to top last week? <laughs> well, I'm not sure it if I have anything that's going to top last I, week I think I think, I, I think how you top the week is you top it with an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, last week we are the last time, two weeks ago, um, I had uh, we, we talked about the, uh, the, the Coco Deluxe. Let, let me clarify that for a second there. Uh, Curtis, what did uh, what did Mark say? Was it Coco Deluxe or Deluxe Coco? I Deluxe thought he Coco, had I think. Deluxe Coco. That's what I want to make sure I'm saying it the right way there. So, I think I've been saying Coco Deluxe all this time, but Deluxe Coco. So it never got um, released. You can call it what you want. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> um, so we've got this. Uh, I th that was part of some stuff that I got from um, uh, from Bob Killigus, and uh, I wanted to show one other little thing that I got uh, uh, that was in that in that group of stuff there. Uh, there was there was many things that were there, and more will oh, be kind of uh, shown that. as we go. Others you'll uh, will be at the fest. But uh, let me switch cameras here, and uh, like to show you one thing here, real quick here, and then I got some other stuff to show you. Hmm, let me zoom in. Looks like ROM sockets. Focus. There we go. So he had a couple of these, and I thought they were kind of interesting little boards. I'm not sure if this was something that was common back then or or what, but uh, these boards that have a, a little TTL circuit on it and then four 
four ROM cartridges. This one here happens to have a ROM on it that's labeled um, Color, I think it was Color Bug, uh, which was something that he was working on. And uh, it has a date on here of uh, 720 of 81. What size ROM is that? What's the number on it? Uh, these, 8K. Yeah, these are going to be 8K ROMs here. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a 2716. Okay. So, so 2K. 8, 2K. It's 2K yeah. ROM. It'd be a 2K yep. ROM then? Okay. Yep. That would make sense because four 2Ks mm. would be an 8K. So you're probably all contiguous in memory. Right. So this is one that he had, and uh, it says uh, it says ROM, RAM on the bottom of it, but uh, it also says Tandy Corp on the back here. So I'm not sure if this is something that they developed for internal use. So uh, that CD could have been either as a ROM pack for development, yeah. or you could put RAM in it and use it as an extent extra RAM. Yeah, that's what Spectrosociates did with their uh, supercharger. I don't think they had RAM in that form factor, though. Yeah, it'd be static. I don't know. RAM. SRAM, I mean, oh, it's, it's RAM, got yeah, the yeah. jumper right there for RAM, so th there must have been SRAMs in that form factor. Okay, yeah, like a, maybe sense. a, uh, what, 6116 or something like that? Or the 2K equivalent of it? Mm, that would be nice. You could load it with ROM and RAM and have extra. I wonder what the deal is with that TTL chip. It's uh, that'd be part of the coding logic. logic yeah, it's yeah. just it take, a three, take a three bit oh. binary number and turn it into eight chip selects, is what it would do. So, so could that have been a very early design for a ROM, ga a ROM cartridge? Yeah, imagine this would have been a prototype board or whatever you want to call it from Tandy to give to developers so they could actually try, you know, to make sure if it's located up in the prom area. So, C000 that would actually run properly. Fun little fact that I'm looking at right here. The uh, five volt pin on that is short. Is the mm -hmm. uh, cart interrupt on the other side, is it like missing? No. No, it's there. Okay. So, ha so having it short like that, what that would do is help prevent disasters if you plugged it in with the uh, power turned on. Yeah, oh, okay, gotcha. Because that would ensure that the EPROMs got powered up after all the rest of the connections got made. Unless you're on a Coco One, in which case you got plus and uh, you plus and minus twelve volts on pins one and two. Well, yeah, those are uh, look unconnected on those on that board. Yeah, thanks. Well, they, go anywhere. That's if you're plugging a cartridge in while the power is on, which generally you shouldn't do anyway. No, oh, yeah, <laughs> that one would kind of help mitigate. A disaster exactly mm -hmm. yeah but the, the commercial tandy cartridges most of them had this one i remember yeah they had that already in there and then uh along that lines he had a second one and it's probably not coming through very well there to script so as, as we know he did scripts it as well and so this may have been a version of scripts it that he was working on and this mm -hmm. says script a b c yeah that'd be the 2k chunks D. to make the 8k wrong Yep. yep. And the and look at look at how manually destroyed the five volt line is. <laughs> <laughs> that and it also doesn't have that uh, that EEPROM RAM that we saw. Right. Yep. It doesn't have it's that still jumper. Say Tandy Corp in the back or. Yep. Yep. Different version of the board. They just didn't fit the jumper. It's, it's uh, do they work? No, the jumper's missing. Have you no. tried them, Brian? Do you know if they work? Yes, they do. And does it say pre-release version or beta or anything, or is it just the regular version um, of the script center? 
I don't know. I'd have to go back and and uh, and fire it up again. I don't I don't recall. I mean, I could you hook up my Coco pictures? Three here and get it going, and we could look at it if we wanted to. But uh, um, I was yeah. If you if, if you want to do that, I have something from Bob that just showed up in my mailbox while we're talking here. I could show too. Okay, if you want to switch over to uh, Curtis and then uh, switch my video off, and when I come back, I'll uh, I'll have it hooked up. Uh, okay. Sure. If you want to sp spotlight Curtis for a minute while I uh, get my stuff together, we can take a look at these. So I'll just read what he said in the email here. He said, hi, guys. This is to me and Brian. I'm looking through a box of memorabilia for a photo I wanted to share with an old friend from the late 1950s when I just happened to find two copies of this old newspaper article, which I'll show you in a second. I managed to flatten it out without crumbling the now orange paper and snapped a pic of both pages attached. Um, so this is an interview he had in the Detroit News. That's a picture of him from back in 1980. If you notice the date here, September 26, 1980 is basically roughly when the Coco was actually released to the public. It had been announced in July. And he's got Dino Wars on the screen here. And it even mentions um, that this is a game soon to come out. So he's showing it to the paper even before it got released by Radio Shack. And notice the joystick he's using for testing here. That's not a Radio Shack joystick in the slightest. Looks a lot like the Dragon ones. Kind of, yeah. Except the dragon didn't come out for another couple of years. <laughs> as far as you know. But yeah, they have a bit of an interview here about, uh, you know, being his own businessman and doing programming for fun and showing off Dino Wars because that's one he was proud of because of the scaling and the, the roaring sound effects, etc. Um, and it was called the Dinosaur Game originally. <laughs> And he said, the way the dinosaurs look is strictly my artistic ability. <laughs> <laughs> kind of goes through. Anyway, it's, I haven't even had a chance to read the interview because literally this just literally showed up in my inbox. But I thought it was kind of neat to see what he looked like back in the day when he first started doing his Cocoa programming. Because this is one of the first ones he worked on. And the, one of the first ones released that he did. And it's one he's particularly proud of. And uh, his wife did the sound effects that were then pitch shifted for the roars and squeals and stuff, which if you want to read a bit more detail on that, you can check out my Dino Wars uh, page on my game site. I thought that was kind of neat and uh, well-timed right before the show started. So um, we'll get this posted up at some point and uh, you guys can check it out too. So I'll make sure it gets on the archive. I might even throw this onto my page as part of it too. So, and I think there was a second page, but I don't think there's any pictures there. I'm not going to go read the whole thing here. Yeah, it's just text on the second one. So, but you guys will be able to check it out soon on my site and on the archive. There, I buy enough time there, Brian. Uh, just about here. Just about. So, that, that genuine right. imitation wood grain. <laughs> Oop, let's see here. <clears throat> Let me. Uh, I need to hook this up. Z Hopefully none of that. No, I, I, that looks like a high quality cable there. That is, that is it. That is true. That's uh, from the uh, the Coco Man. He uses nothing but premium products with the wrong colors. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the Coco Three has wrong colors, so you know you can't. Yeah. You know. Well, th this okay. is we're finding out that Coco Man's colorblind. I'm not colorblind. I took the test. <laughs> I could see the dots and the numbers and 
No, just the Coco 3 composite port. If you want to get into this again, it's it's the wrong colors to begin with. And then some co and then I have different Coco 3s here that the red and white are reversed. So it, it, <laughs> not only are they wrong, then they're backwards wrong on top it's of it. So whatever oh, Tandy so had handy. Yes. Why did Tandy do that? I, because it was cheap. There we go. Right. Okay. I'm sure this was something they had something already. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So here I got the mirror box. Okay. Before we go any further, let me do this. So Curtis, you were showing that news article, right? Yeah. Here's the joystick oh. he was holding. So what brand is that? What's that? <laughs> what brand is, is that? It is uh, Coleco. Oh, it's oh. One before the way before the Coleco vision then. All right. So this was in a box I just happened to have here in my office with me. Just um, happened to have. Just like just happened to have. <laughs> oh, this old thing. I've had this forever. It just was here. <laughs> no, there's there's a Coco one that he had in the collection there, and it has some stuff in it. There's not a whole lot special with it. I might I may show it here. Um, at some point along the time here, but uh, when you pop that up, I knew that this was in there, so I thought I'd show it to be nice because you were talking about it. But this is the joystick that he possibly was holding there in that article. So, oh, Brian, have it. one, yes, it does. <laughs> well, yes, this, that is. I can even see the silver, the black button. Yeah, that's exact joystick he was holding. Yep, so, September 1980. And this was in the box of stuff that uh, that came from him, so this may even be the joystick that could too, be so. the joystick. Yep, same one that he was in the photo. Yeah, yep. I think it is just from looking at it. Yep. So wow. it has the word left on it there. So here I can share it again if you want to put a side by side there, uh, Mark. Yeah. I assume need, he modified the plug. We need to investigate this and uh, have this authenticated. Mm. Sir, I think he's holding it. Uh, I'm not doing a very good job of holding it in front of my camera here, but he's holding it like this here so you can see the. The joystick there, it's that it's that fat short style like this. Yep, I think it's got that silver box around. Yep. Same gray cable. That's the one. That's the one. Have you got that TV as well? <laughs> that would, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Would that be nice? <laughs> it's probably in the other box. Yeah, maybe in the other box, though. So. so let me set this over here out of the way. Okay, so let's see here. Let me you can go back my, to Brian here. I, I just want to do the comparison. Let so. me switch my video here to this. There we go. Okay, let's see if this works here. Ah, not not Nos Engel. Oh, this here. This is the oh sparklies. Yeah, mm. sparklies. I think this is the this is the the Scripset one there. I oh, yeah, that looks like Scripset. <laughs> I know it was working. There it goes. There it is. Yep. I had to hit reset a few times. I remember doing that. So in the the lovely red. This is this is the this is the uh you know this is the signature app for the cocoa right here. I remember That's I remember typing my my papers, like my homework and things for elementary school and early junior high school using that very program. I'm not sure, you know, like if this is a earlier version or if this was the production version that he had. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember. I don't think a version number was mentioned on the splash screen. It may that. be a case of looking at the ROMs and see if there was something maybe in a in a something in the ROM that. Yeah, might just do a wrong compare between the two. Yep. So, okay, I'll go ahead and switch to the other one then. 
Yeah, the other one I'm kind of interested because in, that, that's a, a debugger tool from what I remember uh, him describing it as, and it's one I don't think got commercially released. Although I could be wrong. Um, oh, wait, this one did boot up this way, if I remember right. And I think... Uh, what? Try exec and H, ampersand H, E010. Exec, I'm sorry, what? Ampersand H... E010. There it goes. Color bug. Color bug 1.1. 1. 1.0 here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. I thought maybe you had another one. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. I was just typing a few things there. Does that help, I wonder? question mark or h or something probably have to do the uh, exec again yeah it looks like it exited right to basic uh h01 whoops what was it again zero. e010 zero, e0 zero, i'm sorry i'm terrible uh e010 here we go oh it didn't like that ah. Ooh, sparklies oh look at oh that. that's, that's interesting, interesting. Ooh. Control Alt reset. I think you're going to have to do to cold start it. I've seen these guys before. <laughs> Try question mark or an H, maybe. Excuse me. I'm sorry. And I haven't come across any information. There may be something in the boxes of documentation that I haven't come across yet for this. So, if if not, do you have an EEPROM reader? Yes. Okay. If if, if when when you get time, because I know you're still going through all the stuff, because it was quite a quite a bit. Oh, there you go. Oh, oh wait. Ooh. Register dump. How do you do that? By uh, I have a ribbon cable extending this out of the out of the color computer to make it easier because this thing is not in a cartridge. And all I did was tilt. All I did was tilt it to look at the thing there. And there crashed. And, and just kind of tilted. An interesting. That's an interesting peripheral that you have to move the ribbon cable. keyboard cable to get it to do anything. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm. In the manual, yeah. Tilt, tilt ROM cartridge to forty-five degrees. No, that'll give you yeah. a register dump. If you tilt it left instead, it'll uh, jump to the ROM address. And... This predates the Wii, <laughs> right? <laughs> slide to the left but yeah if you if you get a chance uh maybe if you if you can't find documentation obviously that'd be the best to use it with but if not then if you dump the rom i can maybe take a look through it because it was only a 2k rom so it shouldn't be that big what was it sw1 well that'd be software interrupts i would assume i didn't well, try swi like i don't know if it's trying to execute the command or if it's yeah, hard to say. It, it's not complaining though. You can you can do the old uh, hit every key on the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Ah. Oh, e. E. Edit a, that's a dump. Yeah. yeah edit with with ASCII equivalents as well as the hex. That was E. Okay. <clears throat> R for you if you push dump. I bet you if you do E with an address, it'll probably start there and give you a page. Yep, like E100 or something. 
Yep. Uh, Try EC000. Uh, E what? I'm sorry. C000. Okay, it's got a jump. C05D. Looks like a jump table. That's the actual code in, in Sysbug itself I'm looking at here. Yeah, it definitely looks like a jump table. He's got jump to C05D, jump to C5A5, jump to C130, C141. So it looks like he's got this set up to have a couple of different entry points. And does D do anything for disassemble, maybe? Yeah, you can try it. No, it's old enough, you. it definitely wouldn't be saved to disk. <laughs> D for destruct. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't like D, D. for dead. <laughs> yep. Might might be trying to do something to a printer or serial port or something. Who knows? We'll have to dissemble that. Yeah, but my uh my older uh, EEPROM reader, the um um uh, what's the uh, extra term? No, uh, uh not extra term, uh ex extratron or what is the name of that thing? Exatron? Extratron. That's that that one can read these older EEPROMs than my newer one. because uh, oh. this is a twenty seven sixteen chip. So Yeah, I'm kinda curious because if this would have been a debugging tool that used it in the early days, this is a couple years before Ed Tasm came out. So that's kind of cool. By the way, Franklin Harris in the chat is saying this is riveting podcasting. I don't think he's being sarcastic or anything. <laughs> I think oh, I this think. is especially riveting on audio. <laughs> exactly. Okay. okay, Mark Bosley, can you do a dramatic reading of the entire ROM dump? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. E zero 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 three E eight zero zero nine F. Peter Willard in the chat saying, you know, this might be based on Micbug. I trying to remember when did Micbug come out because if this is an internal two that Robert Kilgus was using, he probably wrote this before the Cocoa was released. Originally, anyway, this looked like it was a 1981 release of it, which might have been later. But could be, I don't know. Give me one second here to resituate myself here, and I got a few more things to show you guys. Uh, what he means by a few more is like a lot. <laughs> and if you want two solid days of this, come to Cocoa Fest. There you go. Oh, yeah, yes. Brian, it's almost lunchtime. And when he means few, <laughs> he means he means like few like truckloads. <laughs> uh, disconnect RGB cable from bottom before pulling cocoa off desk. Yes, that's very good advice. Yes. But I could probably I could probably buy a extended uh RGB cable from somebody, could I not? That would be longer. So I wonder who has those. Right. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Next. Let me switch cameras again here. Am I making you guys dizzy? No, keep trying. No, my, my hex dump reading probably did that. <laughs> okay, so to uh, track all my purchases, let's see here. What camera do I got here? Ooh. Here well, we go. Let's... Feed. Yep, let me stop right about. Let me back up just a little bit here. Mm. Ooh, whoa, whoo. Uh, this segment brought to you in blurry. Yeah, now I'm starting to get dizzy. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Coco Accountant. Have you seen this one before? I, I've not seen it. Well, I've seen it at a fest, but I, I don't remember too much about it. But I do remember it. Home and is small business you... accounting for Tandy Color Computer 3. Is this how you keep track of all your Coco items you have in the warehouse? There you go. 
He needs a special hard drive version for that. <laughs> and it came with the has the discs as well that came with it. But uh, no, I saw this one out on the out uh, out on eBay there, and I I picked it up. I thought it was kind of interesting. Now, is that one on the archive? Because I I never really I, looked for accounting I software. I don't, I, I don't believe it is on the archive. So <laughs> that's a real that's hot a, item there, accounting software. Yeah, but but it have a really nice manual. The you know the usual yeah. uh, uh, typeset type email. You know, and uh, so yeah, for Coco three for the Coco yep. three. So I'm assuming maybe it takes care they of. They did have an older one called Color Account that they sold for the Coco one. I'm assuming this maybe has a maybe uses the higher uh, screen resolutions. Yeah, I would guess 4080 com at the very least. Yep. Okay, so the next thing, and uh, we can, I can show as little or as much of this as as we want here. Uh, let me back the camera up here. There we go. So, as we've talked about over the past few months here, um, Steve York, um, with his passing, we saw some stuff that uh, had made its way out to uh, eBay through. Uh, through various channels of people that have grabbed some stuff. And uh, I had been chatting with uh, one person in particular, and uh, we saw how some of the prices were just crazy. And um, this guy was willing to work with me. So um, I'm just going to show some stuff here that was in this box of stuff that I bought that, that came from uh, Steve York's um, estate. Some of the stuff is not special. Some of the stuff might be kind of unique, but uh, – I'll just kind of start at the top of the box and work my way down here. So there was this RS-232 pack here. I don't think there's anything special about it. I think it was just uh, just in the box. So it's been was... open. So did he modify the wonder or did he just rip uh, the ROM out? Uh, you know, I don't know. Let's let's take a quick look here. I think I looked at it once. I didn't see anything, but let's. Uh... There's always that. So I know a lot corner. of us ripped out the uh, the ROM chip because we didn't like it all. Just starting a, a useless terminal program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Um, there's always that one corner that plays that's always up in there. ROM pack opening action. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the ones I've ever seen are like that. It's <laughs> yep, been repaired, right? Yeah, that's where the old ROM was. Yes, <laughs> it's been improved upon. <laughs> Now, did Tandy release these without ROMs later? Not that I'm aware of. I've never heard Because I don't remember ripping mine out, and they're nice and smooth and nicely, neatly filled in holes, and I wouldn't have done that good a job. I mean, it doesn't mean it didn't, but I, I, I the, the ones I saw, which were earlier on, were with this. Yeah, the ROM has, yeah, there was a ROM in it. I can feel just a little bit of solder edges. It's not, uh, hmm. um, so. Not yeah, factory it was, clean. It was, yeah, it was desoldered out of there. So, yep, that's a good thing. So that's now just a serial board. Yep. From fifty kilobaud all the way up to nineteen two or higher if you tweak it a bit. Okay, throw that back together. So, moving down through the pile here, some of the stuff I'll just we'll just flash up real quickly though. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything special about it, but uh, there was an issue of this Rainbow Magazine, uh, SRB Bork. Bjork, uh, but yeah. Yep. yep. Um, there was this uh, the software catalog that uh, that was common out there. Hmm. Um, yeah, that was rare up here. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen one of those. Um, they had especially ask for them. I remember that they didn't normally carry you know tons of them in the store. 
this book was in here. It says uh, The Secret Guide to Computers, and it has different things on there. I'm not sure if he used this as a reference at some point in time. I'm not sure if it was just happened to be there. It says 20th edition. So I'm not sure if this is something he would use to. So 20th edition copyright what at the bottom there? Um, Very bottom of the cover there. Very bottom. 1995. So this would have been after the Coke. Oh, then. So I'm not sure if that was. Yeah, but if it's the 20th maybe... edition, if that's the 20th year of 1975, that might have been that. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. There's in, in, in Northern California, there was this part of the old, you know, San Francisco area, all the computer people out there, they had the, a special catalog that a lot of people used for the early home kits and stuff for the Homebrew Computer Club. Okay. Um, this might be something Earth related to that. or something? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember the details off the top of my head, but I'm wondering if this is maybe a, a compilation based on that. Um, then here's a uh, CompuServe Vid, uh, Vidtex 4.0. Yep. <laughs> oh dear. Radio Shack sold that. Color computer, 32k uh, disc system. Yep. Copyright 83. That one had the CompuServe B protocol, including the uh, sliding version, which is basically like Z modem, where it would actually do streamed, not waiting for packets. Was a much faster download from CompuServe, and also had all the CompuServe control codes for doing RLE graphics and stuff like that. So it was, it was if you were on CompuServe, it was a very nice remote program to have. Pretty well useless on everything else. <laughs> okay, then. Let's I actually see bought here. that myself. Some of the stuff is in some binders here. So, and uh, there may be some things here that, that will need to be uh, scanned or I'm not sure how we want to handle some of this though, but uh, uh, I haven't looked closely at some of this here. So yeah, this was, here's a thing called uh, computer, uh, Computize, Computize, yeah. That's because it's old Graphicom. Graphicom, yeah. GCU, yep. Uh, graphics, Graphicom utility. This is just a uh, must be just the manual that uh, they came with it. Then, what the utility does. And then, uh, I'm not sure what this. This is just uh, getting started. A beginner's learner guide to electronic keyboards. So I think that might have been just uh, something that was in there. Um, and then this here. This uh, this is gonna um, this one here is probably going to get uh, Curtis's attention here, but there are some source codes. So oh, did it say what for? Um, Should be on the top title bar there. OS nine sorcerer or sort sorcerer. Okay, that's uh, computerware's. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think it's a disassembler. If I remember, so he disassembled the actual commercial program. <laughs> That's like us doing nitrous nine. <laughs> um, homemade alarm one version one point one. I don't remember that one. Might as well was on Delphi. Yeah. Uh, Pasco, Pasco. Not sure what that is. And then here's another sorcerer printout. So I'll try to thumb through some of this uh, kind of quickly here, so we're not taking too much time. Manual. No special guests today. Take as much time as you want. <laughs> yeah, this is probably going to be a short show. It's going to probably be under eight hours. <laughs> Disk utility. Okay, let's see here. Trying to get to some stuff that's maybe a little more interesting here. So here's uh, 
this is a manual. Uh, this was sold by Green Mountain here. I don't have the actual hardware, but uh, this was the uh, lower kit too. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the difference between the lower kit too. Is that just the one that was designed to run on the new Coco Two keyboard plugins, like the ribbon cable versus the connector one that the original lower kit was? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that might have been the case. I would think the lower kit would uh, would uh, piggyback off of the uh, VDG. Oh, right. Yeah. What the hell am I thinking? Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, is a little case kit by Dennis Bathory Kits. Duh. Yeah. It talks about doing some soldering. It looks like there's some uh, changes in the manual. They did some hand changes here. This is a, it looks like this is a supplement for the lower, lower kit three. So it kind of takes you through the whole installation of the board and everything. I'm trying to remember maybe what what I'm what I was trying to think of, except my brain was completely screwed up. There is that the lower kit two or three was the one where you actually had an extra EEPROM socket, so you could put an, your own custom one in, as well as the the character ROM that it came with with true lowercase. Can't remember. I can't remember if Dennis talked about it when we interviewed him either. Um, here's something called Micro News. I'm not familiar with that one. June of 87. Does it mention if it's a Cocoa-related one or just a generic computer? Well, it, it, it does. Uh, I just have took a quick little glance here, and there is reference here to uh, Cocoa 1-2. Um, it says United Computer Federation. Yeah, do you, know, do you know anything about that organization, Mark? No, I don't. Just uh, sounds very Star Trek-ish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see any reference to any, any other computers. All I see is one in... References to one and two. Here's some. Here's an OS nine. Save the module that you want uh, this file. Don't save OS nine. This is a. Uh, so yeah, just so one. Maybe this is a, um, a, is a a club. They got the. Like. They got the Apple Finder on the cover though. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> maps. Is that for meetings or something? The maps. Um. That'll be. There's different locations. Here's a location in Orange County, uh, Bellflower, yeah, and uh, San Fernando. Okay, so that's all down the LA area. So maybe it's a club, mm -hmm. club's newsletter. Yep. Let's see. We're trying to keep this all together. So hey, Brian, just FYI, mm -hmm. um, the lower kit manual that you have there. Yes. The only one that's on the uh, Color Computer Archive is the first version, not the lower kit too. Okay. Yeah, because some of the stuff I'll probably go through and you know look at getting it scanned. Archive, archive, archive. Archive. Mm -hmm. A Brian Weasler archive. Grid Plus is a utility designed to aid in the creation of graphics for basic or assembly language programs. <clears throat> Not familiar with this one either. Well, Does it mention here. if he wrote it, like if Steve wrote it, or is that a third party thing he had? I wonder. Um. I don't see any uh any credits or anything. Yeah. No, I don't see anything there. Utility designed to aid in the integration of the basic assembly. Doesn't really uh, just it makes references to some programs, so there must have been a disc or a cassette that went along with it. Did you get any uh discs with this lot? No, this is it was all unfortunately uh, it was just all just ma manuals and everything. Right. 
I find this kind of interesting because this next thing I want to show you, because it looks a lot like those cartridges that I shown from, uh, from Bob. So it says oh, yeah. here the, the, the deluxe color pack. And you can kind of see the way that the, the front of this looks. But if we open it up here. These look very familiar to that board. Very familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't say this on it, but it does, you know, has the same orientation. Um, what does it say U is right here? U. The different chips on it. Different socket sizes anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, I, what I saw right off the rip, it looked like it was designed to not only have the uh, 28 pin on the two 28 pins, but also four. 24 pins you could do it that way exactly it's it's fancier mm, well there's only so many ways pack. you could do a uh, rom pack you know this is from greenmont micro 2 right um designed uh, uh yeah dennis uh, uh yeah. Kit? battery right? kits yep 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 so yeah this had been from green mountain as well yep yeah so that would have been later than the one that uh Bob had. Um, ADOS. Ah, the original ADOS. Art Flexer, who's still active on the Coca list. That's the original Coca 1 and 2 version of ADOS. Um, Mickey Term. That's uh, Mike Ward. That was a terminal program. Went through a bunch of versions. So I don't even know what version you're referring to here. Uh, that was a, one of the most popular free uh, terminal programs for the Coca 1 and 2. For getting on BBSs and stuff, and he actually did a 4.7 version that supported the T1 VDG. If you wanted to reload case. cool. Okay, let me tuck this away here. I should mention there's multiple versions of that on the uh, archive, but not all the versions that were released are on there. So depending on what version you have that manual for, it may be worth archiving up in the archive. <clears throat> this guy bundled a lot of this stuff into in individual folders. Okay, so this is just a, we all know that one there. He must have had a, a model, model one. one. Yeah, he did. That's when he was doing his uh, computer light and sound stuff. This, uh, Nick should know that of, one. <laughs> there's a whole stack of these little uh, like flyers or something like that they must have had for LDOS here. LDOS would be another tier city model one, three DOS. I thought that was L. Curtis Boyle DOS. Uh, I was pretty <laughs> no, young back then. Nine. <laughs> um, let's see. U.S. Robotic. I'm just trying to see. If there's. A, just trying to thumb through some of this stuff here. Oh, this is all loose. I'm not sure if I want to try to. Let me just look here. Um, okay, so let's see here. I think this is the one thing I wanted to show in here. Okay, let's get this. Flip this over. Here we are. Okay, uh, this is a, a demo, uh, version 1.1, bouncing ball, or bouncing ball and balls demo, uh, Steve Bjork. Like a... Hey, we were just talking about that. That's a source code for the OS9 bouncing ball demo, I would guess. Uh, 86. Cool. Yep, 86 is when it's copyrighted. But that's the one I just put on EOU that'll be coming out of the new EOU when it gets released. Okay. So level one um, bouncing ball demo, smooth scrolling text. But I didn't have source for it. He only released the executable as far as I know. So I definitely want that scan because I'd like to make the disk file so people can muck around with it. Is that a tractor feed printout? 
Um, yes, it was. Yep, they just they just tore off the perfs. Yeah, or yep. the yeah the factors. Yep. Yeah. I'm just trying to read at the very top here. He said this new version. I can't read the rest of it in the second line. Uh, this new version date uh, July 2086, copyright 86 by SBR Software, all rights reserved, programmed by Steve York. So literally five days before they announced the Coca-3, which he already had at this point. So I thought you might find that one interesting, Curtis. Yeah, I definitely want to scan that one. <laughs> if you want to OCR too, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dynastar? Oops. Yep, that's a uh, word processor... Uh, loosely based on WordStar by Computerware. I actually had this one. I see that one's being sold by Frank Hogg, but it was uh, programmed by Computerware. Mm, not sure what this is because it looks like the, maybe a page or two might be missing because it's just uh, so okay. And, any any source code listings you have, even if they are missing pages, definitely get them scanned and at, at the very least send them to me because maybe I can match them up with the original program and it might fill in gaps or help comment. I program a lot faster than trying to do it by hand. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, you, Curtis, and a few other people. It'd be great if we could almost like have a little uh, get together for about a week and just go, <laughs> <laughs> go through a whole bunch of stuff here. Okay, service manual here for the uh, model. The uh, oh, the supplement. Yeah. No, that that might Aren't... need to be scanned. I don't yeah, know if we have that supplement on the archive. I wonder if that covers as a supplement. Like Coco One. Well, it would be an addition to the original uh, three thousand two manual to cover the changes yeah. to the A. Yeah, so it looks like three thousand two. Yeah, it covers three thousand two A, three A, and four A. So that's your yeah. F board addendum. This must be okay. a Canadian manual. Why? So With all those A's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then they would have spelled color right. <laughs> Yeah, that I think would need to be scanned. You're right. Video text for Model 1 and, and, and 3. And then here's the service manual for the Model 3. 87 software reference guide. This is the only one I ever saw in Canada out of these special software guides, which was third-party stuff. That's where you could buy, like, Flex and stuff like that. And then for some of you, the Bible... Oh, the original one. That's not even the revised ones. Because the original ones here were all for the Cocoa 1 and 2, and then when the Cocoa 3 came out, they came out with the revised versions that had all the Cocoa 3, you know, um, basic RAM allocation stuff and lower memory added to it. But this was the raw Cocoa 1 and 2 only. Okay, let me grab the next, uh, the next folder. Appreciate you guys' patience here. I'm trying to keep this all grouped together so it doesn't turn into a big, uh, big pile. And the audio listeners are probably really confused what we're looking at here. So maybe describe them once. Um, <laughs> I'm about to show them too. <laughs> well, I just right it out. For our audio My... listeners, we're looking at beautiful simulated wood grain. Ah, another uh, Dennis Kitts. This was actually a four voice software synthesizer, kind of a rival to Lyra or um, Musica, that kind of thing. It's supposed to be pretty good. It's supposed to have one of the better ones for doing waveform changes and stuff. Being that Dennis is a musician, it probably would be. <laughs> And then this yeah. is for the color computer too. This would be the lower kit 3C. 3C. Oh. I'm, okay, that's got to be scanned because I know nothing about the lower 3C. Yeah, those lower kit ones. I, I, I want to see those lower kit ones. <laughs> it's something that I want to play with. I wonder what's different on the 3C. 
Ebron? Hmm. I have no idea. I was looking to see if there was something that. Uh... Okay. Let's back up a second. What is a lower kid? I, 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 I just see that being like smaller feet for the cocoa, but I don't think that's non T1. It. It's a non T1 uh, VDG uh, upgrade to give you low, give you true lowercase. Yeah. It basically tapped into VDG's ability to read an external character ROM instead of the one built in. And he actually did like fatter, wider letters. So they were much easier to see and add a true lowercase to it. You used to have those checkerboard ads, if you remember. That's where you used to advertise. Okay, you tired of looking at your Cocoa screen because it looks like a big checkerboard? Well, you can get this and actually read it in lowercase. Interesting. I don't ever recall those, but... That would have been around 80 to 83. That's why, because I didn't get into, like... I didn't get I didn't get one until, like, late 84. Oh, VM1, CM1, all color monitor, the... Amber, I think the first one was. Ooh, Z80. Ooh, cover. No. <laughs> CPU. For all your Model 1 and 3 programming needs. Bedlam. There we go. Ooh. I'm glad to hear Steve is a fan of Bedlam. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, the stuff that I have here, this is just a, you know, tip of the iceberg. I don't know. I'm sure how many of you were really following the whole story going on there, you know, but uh, he had a lot of stuff. Oh, I just want to mention a comment from Pete Willard in the uh, chat. He said, Dennis had to keep redesigning the lower kit because of the posts and 6847 location issues in the case. Because they did move around depending on what version of the boards you had. So that, that could be. Ah, okay. So they're not necessarily enhancements. They're like, now it fits. Yeah, that might that might be true. Just a manual for the RS-232. Here's another uh, catalog. This has been in 1986. Yeah. And then... Uh, the William Barden book. Don't bother scanning that for the archive because uh, William Barden will get it yanked down real quick. Right. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty obtainable book though. I think if if anybody yeah, wants it's that book, probably it's, the most common one in the entire Coco yep. assembly language line. It's not, in my personal opinion, it's not the best one. It's out there. There's just go to the site called Google. Okay, so let's see. Let me separate this off first. But I do know William Barton actually actually asked the Color Computer Archive, please remove that book because he did have it up there. So here's one called uh, the uh, Informer. Looks like it's a club newsletter. Yeah, CCF a, club. Yeah, what name sound, name sound familiar? Color Computer. I don't know what the F stand for. Maybe location. Uh, look, look Federation. What's the name on the bottom there? Is that P. Allison? Uh, C is here. CCF stood for California Computer Federation. I'm sorry, what? The bottom of that cover there for the informer, does that say P. Yep. Allison? It does. That's Peter Allison, the guy that ran GamePoint Software that uh, Steve Bjork right. sold Z89, et cetera, for their, and some of Nick's stuff. And uh, there's a couple issues of this here. This one here has some faces on it. Um Trying to see if I can figure out what the names of the people are that are here. Uh, Warren and many of you have seen Mr. Adderson. Oops. Not sure if any of those faces look familiar. Not off the top of my head, but I can't really yep. see that close either. And here's a here's just another copy of it. 
And then this next thing here, um, if you guys did happen to see the listing on on uh, Facebook when you did it, this might have caught your eye. This is the Computer Chronicle. And uh, I don't know how many issues they had, if this is every issue, but this is a pretty complete, or quite a stack, I should say, maybe not complete stack, but quite a stack of this Computer Chronicle. But uh, this might be a, this is not up on the archive. I know that, so this might be kind of interesting. To, you know, some of these uh, again, um, these user yeah. groups. If I remember, the Color America users group isn't that the one that's credited on Desert Rider, the game from Tandy. That's mm -hmm. Steve Rowe. I'm pretty sure that he credited it to. Um, they helped with it in some way in creating that game on the credit screen. A uh, color, yeah, color American uh, group, users group. But uh, yeah, these were all Steve's copies. In, I'm not, yeah, I, I think he was a member. I think he was actually the member at large for a long period of time during that organization's. Yeah, I haven't gone through to to see you know how many how complete this is, but uh, to check and see if there's any if they're in any order or not. But uh, anyway, looks like they're all yellow though. Yeah, they've all yellowed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> It'll canary, match the, yeah. the Cocoa cases these days. Uh, well, color chronicle, and uh, the only color I'm seeing so far besides black is yellow. Yep. They must have got a special deal on it. On, on, on canary, uh, canary yeah. yellow uh, paper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got a bulk discount. Right. Oops, let me get this here. Just a couple more things in this box here, and then I'll be done sharing. And just as a, uh, a future drop, um, maybe here uh, this next month here, um, I have more Steve Bjork stuff to share as well. I just verified because some, some guy has a Coco Games site with screenshots. And Desert Rider does say copyright 1984 by Color America User Group and SRB Software. So that is the people that were directly involved with creating Desert Rider. You can't go by that guy's website. It's yeah, it's I mean, not always right. Take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Just makes it up fiction. So um kind of kind of full circle here. So this was in Steve Bjork's uh uh group of stuff there though, but this is uh scripts it there by Bob Kelly that, we that we were just talking that we've been that we've been talking about here. So um let's see yeah. Uh you can kind of see his name right there, but yes. So this was uh Disc that's, yep. that's the true lowercase version of it. And let's see here. Two more things here. What's this one here? This is the uh, color disc. I can always have, I always stumble on the name. Sp uh, <laughs> Spectaculator. <laughs> yep, that's the spreadsheet program. I think Bob did that one too, didn't he? Uh, double check here. Yes, he did. Yep, that's the uh, spreadsheet program. And let's see here. I'm not sure what's in this last one here. If this is Model 3 stuff. Ugh. This guy managed to find a box that's the perfect dimensions of these three-ring binders. So if it fits tightly. In the... Well, this one does not you work. You have to dump it out upside down on your desk, eh? <laughs> no, this one, I don't think dumping it upside down would get it to it. even come out there. Come on. It's a vacuum there. sealed in there. It Might is. need a chip puller or something uh, to get it up. Let's see here. Um... Okay, this is just Model 3 software. So this is uh, yeah, nothing. It's just uh, 
This might be a uh, script set here for the Model 3. So, Ooh. yeah, super script sets for the Model yep. 1 3. So, yep, nothing, nothing Coco here, but anyway. Well, that is where Steve started, uh, Model 1 and yep. 3. He started a couple years before he got in the Coco. Well, that's all I wanted to share with you guys today. I'll have more Steve York stuff. Uh, I have a few things that's actually in transit um, that'll be coming this way. Um, I, like I said, I was it was kind of unfortunate seeing some of the pricing that people were were putting some of those items out there for. And uh, I hope the people that did acquire some of that, uh, you know, share it with us here in the community. I guess I'll put a call out for that. Um, but this uh, this person here that I was working with here, um, he was willing to work with me on some of the prices, so I wasn't paying some of that crazy stuff there that uh, that we were seeing. And I have a few more things coming this way. Uh, some of it's uh, software, some of it's uh, just manuals. Um, so more to I'm come. really hoping somebody can make it to VCF Southwest because some of Steve's stuff is going to be displayed there too. Uh, one of the people that bought his Model 3 repacked, Model 3 case with a repack Coco 1 in it said he's going to be bringing that down to the show to show at his table. You and mean they might VCF have some other SoCal? software. Or sorry, yeah, you SoCal. Mean... Yeah, Southwest is uh, the one in Fort Worth, which is not really Southwest, but okay. That, that's actually this next month, is it not? Yep. The SoCal one is like uh, 15th or something like that, if I remember. It is. Well, I'll be reviewing well, this a bit later. Well, if you look in the upper uh, left-hand corner of the screen of the show, it does say uh, February 17th through 18th. I've got the view with everybody on here, so that's a tiny little postage stamp type thing with yeah, no, microscopic myself, text. But, but there's the website for <laughs> it. February 17th, 18th in Orange, California at the Hotel Fair Event Center. How's that? And uh, I guess uh, along the lines of the deluxe there, I know that was uh, – uh, people found that very interesting. Uh, hopefully here maybe uh, – because we have an interview next week, uh, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, Glenn Dahlgren will be on with some yep. uh, other rarely seen Cocoa stuff, Sundog stuff oh. in particular. So then hopefully maybe the the show after that, um, uh, maybe I can have a, a little bit more of an update and we'll share some more stuff. Looks like uh, okay. Terry is being attacked by a dog or just attacked with love, maybe. I'm... <laughs> and speaking of which, I believe, Terry, you're up next. <clears throat> well, if I can figure out how to share my screen here. And I almost didn't spot that in the chat. <laughs> Is that coming through? Yeah. Okay. I just was going to mention, um, we've got the uh, the group here that's kind of a spinoff of the, the original TRS-80 color computer group. Um, this, this is on Facebook, right? Yeah, this is on Facebook. Sorry. Um, I'm going to, I asked Mark O to maybe put the link out there. I'm going to try to put it in YouTube, but... Basically, this version is um, 100% um, drama-free. <laughs> it's it's going to be kept that way. We're we're going to just keep it to um, you know very specific things as far as um, like files if you want to share um, different acquisitions that people find and those kind of things. So I just wanted to share that. We'll get that link out there and. Um, Rondo so Lowe. this is basically the color computer group on Facebook, but without people slamming each other or that kind of thing, right? It's basically just like information. More moderated? Cor yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it it is, as of this afternoon, will be 100% private group. So there, there really will be no chance of 
you know, getting the spam stuff and all the, the, the crap that goes with the public group. So um, initially had tried to make it public just so we could maybe add a selling feature, uh, which did work. But in doing that, uh, I already started seeing some spam stuff on it. So we just cleaned it up. And uh, hopefully as of this afternoon, it will be converted to a private group. We've got about 150 or I guess 180 members so far. Um, and uh, if anybody's interested in being a moderator or uh, uh, would like to help with it, uh, just get a hold of me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, cool. Um, any other project updates? I, my my grand goal of getting Nitrous 90 OU 101 out before the end of January is not going to happen, thanks to work <laughs> and some other stuff. So uh, it'll be soon. I just don't know when yet. I got some new software. That you wrote? Cool. Mm, no, I bought it. Oh, okay. Would y'all is it coca related? I should ask you that first. <laughs> uh yeah. Uh indirectly, yes. Would y'all like to see it? It's gonna be Atari, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking here. <laughs> when he said indirectly, that kind of <clears throat> here's the Atari port of some game that Coco has. No. It actually has a sixty eight oh nine. Vectrix. No. Thompson. I said software. Oh, software. Okay. Yeah. A game on the Vectrix. <laughs> <laughs> no. So you're all ready to to uh, see it? Sure. Okay, fine. It's a t-shirt. Well, I've seen that before. And there's the 6809. Yeah, Z80-6502 for the audio listeners. Z80-6502-6809-8080. Eight bits are all you need. Yes, um... Last uh, Monday was um, mine and uh, Missy's five-year anniversary, and she got me that. I'm trying to remember, where, where do you want, want to get those? Because I've seen some other podcasts, they've been wearing that as a thing, and I can't remember who sells it. You get them from uh, Joe at Joe's Computer Museum, which you can get to by going to jcm-1.com. And for those, us on the panel and us in the audience that are multiple retro computer enthusiasts, that's a perfect one to get. Could you get it without the 6502 on it? That's what a black Sharpie's for. Worker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, here's a good save. That's a Commodore guy. I'm a 6809. Eight bits make a great bite. <clears throat> it's missing 6309. I'll have to black Sharpie the edges of the 8 out. So, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. Or you can just replace the 6502 with 6309. Yeah. But I'd probably replace the 8080 because... Yeah, I would too, honestly. Uh, the 8088 was a little bit better, but the 8080 I was not a fan of. Yeah, it's not like anyone uses an 8080. So that's all I had for my software. Okay. Uh, let's see. Take a break. And then... Game on challenge results, game, I guess, game next? Game on results, sure. Are you ready, Sloopy? What about me? Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo!
should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Renderinge says, your name? Felipe D. Your systems? Many TRS-80 colors and cartridges, devices. How do you retro? Hands-on real hardware. Where did you hear about us? Coco Malted Media Mail List. Looking for? New ways to improve Coco 1-2. Retro Rick says, Hello, this is Richard Retro Rick K. Some time back, I downloaded an ASM file that had the code to play back for voice music. Sadly, I don't have the file anymore. Anybody happen to know which file I'm speaking of? Rolf M says, Hi, I'm Rolf, based in Norway. I got my first Dragon 32 in 83 and upgraded to a Dragon 64 with disk drives a year or two later. The 64 is still sitting there on a desk within easy reach, but most retro stuff is done in emulators these days, X Roar Forever, I guess I'm mostly looking for inspiration to fuel further projects. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Cuthbert Goes Digging. We had a total of 10 players. Those 10 players were Coconut Bob with 50, Jim Rye 303, L. Curtis Boyle 307, 
Shenley, 444. Canadian Retro Things, 473. Mr. Dave, 6309, 474. Nerf Herder, 509. Kieran, 543. Tasman, 994. And this week's number one score is... Brian Walsh with 1,022. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. And the Coco Nation wishes to salute Brian Walsh. Salute. <laughs> the rest of you guys are supposed to supposed to join in. Oh. Um, I'm still in shocked amazement that the winner was not Tasman or Buck Owens. So. I'm sorry. I missed last sorry, week's show. I was getting coffee. I, I, I must have missed that memo. I, I wasn't here last week. So. You missed the rehearsal, so... There's a rehearsal? <laughs> I and I do believe that Brian Walsh said about this game, it's the single most infuriating game I've ever played on the Coco, and his wife may leave him because of playing it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Walsh, isn't that the guy who hosts America's Most Wanted? <laughs> And that's got to be the most ringing endorsement for the game I've ever, a game I've ever heard. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Cuthbert goes digging. I did manage to dig up. Ah, huh? huh? see what I did there? See what I did there? <laughs> managed to dig up a couple of articles about it. Unfortunately, I did see. Did after <laughs> digging, did you put the game in the hole and then cover it up? <laughs> no, that's burying. <laughs> this is not Cuthbert goes burying. No, that was E.T. This is, um, Cuthbert this is not goes cut digging. <laughs> This is not Cuthbert goes uh, into the litter box. So the first one that I found was in Cuthbert Chronicles in from 1985. Uh, basically, it's kind of a ad for this for the game with a little bit of a review in it. And it does say that uh, though the easiest level is number one, it doesn't give you much oxygen, which is true. Number one's at level one is actually harder than level two. So if you started on level two, you got a little more oxygen, but only one more guy to kill. So it was a little easier. <laughs> and uh, they say uh, you can use keyboard or joystick, but even with the joystick, you still have to fill in the holes by using the space bar, which is inconvenient. Darn straight. Something that many people complained about and Mr. Dave fixed for us by giving it a upgrade to a two button joystick. Which will work only on a Coco 3, we should mention. Yes. Only for the Coco 3, so. Well, I guess Brian could probably, if once he gets his uh, deluxe running here, I guess it's had two-button support, so. There you go. Maybe there, too. So everybody that owns a deluxe Coco or a Coco 3. <laughs> oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which P-line which lines do those center pins connect to? Because we can just hack it into a one or two. Yeah, you could. Uh I've thought about that. I think I think those lines right now go to ground. Uh, last time I looked into it. So, but, uh, so on the Coco One, uh, the way the jack is set up, it makes it easy to clip the center pin, lift it up, and uh, do it. But the Coco Two, the jack is a lot more enclosed, so that's a lot mm -hmm. harder to get that center pin. Yeah, and I think in the PC just, board, just, it's just cut right the trace and do a bodge wire. Well, it's in a ground plane. In the Coco Two, it's in the middle of a ground plane. Oh, okay. Then just use a hole saw around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Get out your ah, Dremel. Dremel tool. You know, Dremel tool, abrasive bit. Yeah, we could get it done. And Cuthbert Goes Digging brings up feature creeping for the Coco 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished.
<laughs> Anyways, in this one, they thought it was a good value for money. Although uh, it's frustrating, it was also addictive. I can agree with that. It was frustrating, but once the two the two button uh, joystick hack by Mister Dave happened, <clears throat> I was having more fun with it. I definitely did better. My overall score did not improve, but I would complete the first level a lot more often than I did before the change. And the other article that I found on it was in Dragon User. And Dragon User is a little bit strange as they kind of uh, do all of their um, the, reviews for the, like a uh, bunch December of games. 80, is that the December 83 issue? Uh, yeah, I think so. It yeah. is. But they're reviewing all these games all in one article. They don't separate oh. the article out. But basically it does a couple of uh, just a couple of paragraphs about uh, Cuthbert Goes Digging basically rehashing what the game is and then uh <clears throat> just as he goes on to the next thing he says that he preferred digging to walk about which i completely disagree with yeah he's wrong i, I wouldn't yeah. even say disagree with he's just plain wrong I, I he must have been smoking something so that's really his only review in here it's just basically tells you how you play the game and then says that he prefers digging to walk about but uh cuthbert in the jungle is a much better game than both of them I must say that's an interesting review format. Yeah. I guess when you have a lot of uh, releases from a, just a few from a few different uh, um, publishers, that's probably an interesting way to do it. But they should probably have dedicated more to each game. Yeah. yeah well, sixty is saying in the chat here says, "Yeah, early Dragon users did do that. They changed format eventually, and I know the later one I have here, they went to full reviews per game." And Tom Eric Gunnarsson from Europe says uh, Cuthbert Goes Digging is a fun game. It is. It's it's actually a infuriating game, but fun. Yeah. I, myself, personally, I think the game is good except the controls. I mean, the two button definitely yeah. help, but the, the two detecting when help. you're trying to get on or off a ladder still the sucks. Pixel perfectness of getting on and off ladders. That was de the one thing Fix I was going to bring up. It's a good game. I wouldn't have any complaints yeah. at all. What if a person was to use like the flight stick? type joystick with one hand where you could use one hand and trigger fire and then use like your left hand for the space bar. You'd still get stuck in the ladder. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. I actually found that the best way to do that is I actually started mapping out everything I did as avoiding the ladders that went up multiple levels so that I wouldn't get stuck on them. I only took ladders to a level where the ladder ended on it because it was that bad yeah, I didn't think it was that bad of a game. No, it wasn't a bad game. It was just that one little just bit of the game. That one bit of the controls off, is bad. Getting off, actually, it wasn't even getting on the ladder. Getting off the ladder was annoying because you'd be trying to jump up, go up a ladder to get in front of something, and you'd get stuck there, and you're wiggling the joystick trying to try and get off and come get back off and the kill ladder you and in the meantime. You. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah that's that's my only complaint. Now that Mr. Dave has made a two button, that makes it a lot easier too. Yeah. Well, the yeah. way I was playing it with the one button, like I said, is I was actually playing it with the joystick held right over the um keyboard. So when you I just wanted to smack the joystick down, hit the space bar. 
Yeah, I just dropped my hand down and on top of the space bar to uh, fill in the joint. Rick, Rick will thank you later because he'll be ordering one of his keyboard upgrades fairly soon. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I wasn't doing money. it hard. It was like a it was like one. a two millimeter drop. Just thunk. don't you already have one? Have one. He keeps whacking a joystick on it. <laughs> one of uh, Rick's uh, keyboards. I've got a whole bunch of Rick's keyboards. Well then, you're good. Whack it. <laughs> what's what's your warranty like, Rick? I'm just wondering when it'll run out and you'll have to actually purchase one for money. Uh, we'll have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> the first crack of the board. Tail light warranty. Actually, Rick, right. you should make a deal with uh, Nick to make a game where you really got a hammer on the keyboard. Oh, <clears throat> Sixty's got something that he just said. Um, a quick experiment shows that if you hold left, right, as you climb, descend to the ladder, it will step off at the right point. When I've had problems with pixel perfect games to do that, I've done exactly that. And that technique really has worked well for me. Hmm. Did not work for me on this one. What it was like when it was 10. It, yeah, I had a lot of trouble doing that because if I, you got to do it just right. Otherwise, uh, you actually stop on the ladder. Yeah. Sixty, yeah. are you talking about keyboard controls here or are you talking about uh, joystick? Probably keyboard because he said it's. Yeah, because keyboard, I found that was a bit easier. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he was using the keyboard. Yeah, I mean, digital joysticks give you an opportunity to be ab absolutely evil. So don't allow 63. Look for 57. That way you can't hold your joystick against the edge and sneak off. <laughs> so anyway. Now, it's a good game. And I mean, there's there's a couple clones of that game on both the Dragon and yeah. the Coco. I think Bonka is another one on the Dragon. Color Panic by Spectral is another one on the Coco. Um, based on Space Bank, of course. And there's there's bazillions of versions of that for every other machine out on the planet, but um, it's kind of a predecessor to uh, Load Runner in a few ways. I did actually find it kind of funny how everybody was looking and the scoreboard was all 300s. You say I did beat 300 to get your name on the scoreboard and everybody's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Then I think just about everybody had a big celebration when they actually got their name on the scoreboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got it's over like finally I got it. I got over three hundred on my third game. Oh, Aren't you're you special. special. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you jealous? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. All right, kids. Though, like I said, once Mister Dave did his patch there, I I broke three hundred. Once you know, if I started that version of it up pretty quickly too, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Right, you didn't happen man. to find any high scoreless in Rainbow or anything, did you, Ken? I'm kind of curious how other people did it this 300 Well, because it was higher. a Dragon game, there wasn't any high scores in Rainbow. Well, wasn't, wasn't that the one? Or maybe it was just Walkabout that Tomic sold in North America. I don't Maybe they did sell Walk. Or, the uh, only, the only mention of it I ever found was in, in, was in Dragon game, or Dragon issues. Okay. Because I know Tomic sold some of the Cuthbert games directly from England. But I think you're right. I think it was just the Amidar clone uh, walkabout that they sold. I don't think they sold digging. So you might be right. Well, I didn't. Anyways, I didn't find any high scores. So could be just nobody ever got over 300 to find one. So yeah, that's <laughs> entirely possible. Sixty so, recommends just use the keyboard. <laughs> Then you can really hammer on those keys, break uh, Rick's uh, keyboard <laughs> thing, and then have to buy another one from him. Hey, 
if you've got a chiclet keyboard, it doesn't matter because you're supposed to smash those anyway. <laughs> you have to smash those. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially when they get stuck down at an angle and can't come back up again. So the other game that we played this week was um, Time Fighter. Yep, right. another frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a frustrating Ken's game. been on a roll all of January. It's been frustrating <laughs> games month. I'm sorry. And people, I was going to ask if that was on purpose. Yeah, people complain <laughs> about my games, and here, look at these. Yeah, but at least none of the games I chose this month were Neutroid. Yeah, yeah. You I definitely have that going for you. I, I, okay, here. I want one thing absolutely clear. As much as I've wanted to, I have never chose Neutroid. Um, yes, actually, you did. When? Uh oh. Uh -oh. You were the one that chose Neutroid. <laughs> I was away uh -oh. that week and you chose Neutroid. No, no, I was told I had to. And if you want evidence to the contrary that you picked it, look at Nick's uh, thing where he says it's coming up on the uh, Game On Challenge. Oh, so Nick That's... forced us to play it. That yeah, makes Nick, sense. Nick forced us because yeah, it was coming out and. Yeah. Uh, Something about promotion actually, or something? I did. Yeah. I chose the new version of Neutroid. The first time that we played it with the old version, you chose it. Uh, no. Because <laughs> it was a week I was away, and you chose Neutroid. Yeah, yeah I actually remember this too. Pretty, you told me it'd be pretty funny if I chose Neutroid and made a big thing about it. I told you you could because it was your choice. Yeah. No, told that me. means it was I, just a suggestion. I am taking, I am taking <laughs> no blame for choosing Neutroid the first time. At any rate, yeah, Time Fighter. Um, <laughs> yes. Move it along. Time Fighter. Um, it is another frustrating game. Uh, probably one of the uh, harder things about it is that you um, have limited shots. So you really have to pick your shots. And even when you uh, refuel with the mothership, you don't get any more bullets, which sucks. Yeah, until you go to the next time period. I think yeah, you when you go into that. the next time period, you fill back up. And if I remember, you it's so how many ships you pass, it's not how many you kill. So basically, you're yeah. just increasing your score. So you don't have to shoot everything. Basically, yeah. you just don't die. Well, if you run out of bullets, you just have to avoid everything, yeah. which I did a few times. I just about made it to the third time thing uh, right at the end. I was literally about probably 10 aliens passing. But you still have another week. You got another yeah, week. Yeah, if I get it. some time, I'll, I'll try it again. Because I know I used to do it back when I was younger and had reflexes. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. What, <laughs> what is there to say about that game? Um Sorry, I just read the comments. I would have to rattle a few off before we get in the game thing. So Dave uh, Very says, that Mr. Dave guy sounds cool. We're doing the uh, joystick patch. And 60 says, clearly we needed a new drama-free show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Neutroid. It brings out the worst in all of us. Right. <laughs> so so is, this, is this a drama or a comedy show? Yes. A drama. Yes, it show. is. <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was a snooze show. Well, that's the news. That's coming up later. That's the, yeah, that's the news part. This is, this is the fun part, talking about the games. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, any tips or tricks on Cuthbert, I guess, uh, before we 
continue on. Um, the only one apparently, I have is use the if keyboard. you can get used to keyboard controls, use that, I guess, because apparently it's easier to get on and off ladders and definitely get Mr. Dave's patch in the Coco Discord. David, um, have you uploaded it to the archive? I guess is one question. I would say just play uh, Predator instead. Just delete it. <laughs> just delete it. I didn't want to be that harsh. <laughs> I'll give a couple of points that I know of. So you get extra points if you dig holes vertically right over top of each other. I managed to do this, I think, once on the stream. Uh, if you dig a, a creature in and then start filling the hole when he's on the top and he falls through multiple ones, you get extra points as it falls through multiple holes. So you can definitely get more points that way. There are actually creatures that you have to kill doing that, too. Yeah, on that's, the later levels. Yeah, because yeah. they take a couple of... Uh, and unlike other versions... Through. It doesn't work to drop them multiple times through one hole. You actually have to physically drop them through multiple holes to kill them. Yeah. Does, does the creature change at all? Because I know the original and all the other clones I know of, like you, they have different shapes and they actually mutate. The or regress, color I guess. changes, I guess, sir. Or just but color changes. Okay. It's it's just the a different colored one, and you know that you got to drop it through two levels or whatever. Yeah. As far as uh, actual strategies. Um, trying to think of any <laughs> they do tend to try to follow you so you can sometimes fool them by reversing direction a couple of times i kind of found that um sometimes if you get too many on one level and you just can't get into that level to do anything it's better just go right zooming past them and you know maybe take care of a few on the top and then by hopefully by the time you're done that a few will have crawled up a ladder or down a ladder to get to a different level to kind of spread things out and give you some more room to maneuver um, oh, one, oh, one, one oh. definite tip is if the, the monster is close in your tail and you don't have enough time to dig three times to make a full hole, digging even once or twice will cause the, the creature to fall in and slow down a little bit. If you do one, it's a fairly quick turnaround. Two is a fairly long turnaround. That'll give you time to run further to either escape up or down a ladder or far enough away to actually dig a full hole. So that when he gets out of the little partly emptied one, then you can actually get him without getting hit. So uh, 60 asks if you get more oxygen on later levels, and yes. That's why, actually, it was easier to start on level 2 than level 1, because level 1 barely gave you enough time to kill all the creatures. But yep. level 2 only added one creature and added 50% more oxygen, so... And then also, if you're if you're noticing your oxygen level gets down to 10, the whole game slows down to really build the suspense, like, are you going to yeah. make it? No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Now, in the instructions, it did say that there was a spot on the screen that you could go that uh, the creatures couldn't get you. And I did find on at least one of the levels, if you went over to the very left-hand side on certain levels, the creatures didn't go all the way to that side. So they would just go up to, it was behind a oh, ladder. I didn't, you I could didn't go just past the ladder when there was like one space. And the creatures would only go up to the ladders and turn around. Okay, I didn't. I didn't read the direction, so... You weren't there for the dramatic that. reading? No. No, I wasn't. <laughs> and Dave said, no, he hasn't uploaded yet. So, Dave, uh, please make a disk image. Uh, now, I've noticed the disk image you gave us has a whole bunch of other stuff on it. Make an isolated one for uh, William and upload it to the archive, and then uh, everybody else can share it. <clears throat> it definitely improved the gameplay for me, and it was definitely less, like, slightly less frustrating. Yep. So does anybody have any tips or tricks about Time Fighter? Um, don't touch the sides. You can kill the creatures by hitting them in the wing, which yeah means you won't get hit by their bullets. So if you can time your shot, because you only get one shot at a time, the screen do that. 
Also, on the if second, you, if you shoot them in the sorry, if you shoot them in the try to shoot them in the center, often they'll also fire, and, and block that shot. will destroy your bullet. So yeah, it'll waste one of your shots. Now, each of the dragons, from what I remember, only fire once and then they stop firing. So if you let them fire first, and then you can zip down and and shoot them. So I'll just kind of time it going across back and forth between them, like they'll start firing. The Webers come down on the screen lowest. As soon as he shoots, I'll move over and then shoot him. And then if you just kind of follow that pattern back and forth, basically following after the shot by the opponents, that uh, you can actually start just nailing them all in a row type thing. You still have to let a few go by, but you can actually do pretty good doing that. You'll see that on the video where I was playing because I kind of got back in the zone on, on that later on in the show. Um, on the second level, when you got the, the planes and you got that stupid missile bomb thing floating around, um, use your diagonal movement to get away from that drag. Yeah. Like it'll follow you. So move all the way to one side if you can. Let then it come fairly up. close, and then like go diagonally down to the other direction, and then diagonally up to sneak around them, and then you can just skip right by them. But that depends on where the planes are too. So, yeah, I think everybody kind of figured out how the refueling worked, right? After a bit, yep. And also the radar beam. You have to be in the center of the screen for the radar beam to work. Yep. If you want rapid fire radar, because it only it has to go all the way off the screen before you can get another one, fly up, go up to like the top half of the screen, and it'll go bing, bing. I'm sounding like Trump here, and uh, you know it'll start firing the beams off a lot faster, and you kind of <laughs> get much more up to date radar. Um, and then, of course, you can see when you have to dodge off the right if something's coming down the center type thing. But I found that actually a lot easier. And trying to you know shoot one up and then you have to wait the whole thing by that time something's moved halfway down the screen you may not have enough time to react the next beam all right so shall we take a look at thursday nights i i got one question before you do okay um are you continuing the january theme of having impossible friggin games to play is that another one <laughs> i you'll find out when i announce the new game <laughs> Uh, what am I looking for here? Uh, this one. Under eye for impossible games. That's what you're looking for. No, I'm looking for the Thursday night uh, live show. Yes. It was so, a, you, mi you missed it. It was on Thursday. Yeah, there. it was a great show. Uh, we oh. had a bunch of people there. And it was it was the best show ever. Do you know why? Well, there was no the echo? You weren't yeah, there? there you go. No not echo. echo. No, not echo. What was there none of? There was no echo. I did notice that, actually. Was, was there no Neutroid? There was almost no stream. There was almost, yeah, almost no stream. Yeah, why was it the greatest uh, show ever? What What was uh, missing? Um, Me. <laughs> Are you trying to say it was because Sloopy wasn't there? Yes. Exactly. I, okay, I joined the show a little bit after I started. Why was there almost no stream? I didn't even hear about this. Well, yeah. I popped in at, uh, oh, about uh, 10 after uh, 7 my time just to say hi. And at and... that point, it was just me and Jim in there, and uh, neither of us have credentials to stream. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. One yeah, of the hosts so... of the show doesn't have credentials to stream. That's funny. Well, they don't trust me, and I don't know why they don't give them to Jim. Yeah, we'll have to work on that. So, yeah, I just would uh, you trust me? So I I got back to the mm -hmm. hotel, and it's like the stream wasn't running, and it doesn't look like there was going to be one. So, 
uh, really fast. We had to set up and pray like hell it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mobile stream. Yeah. So how many people can officially stream the game on Challenge right now? Is it just Mark and, and Sloop? I think so. Yeah, we should add Ken and, and possibly maybe Jim because they're supposed to be back Mark up soon. Might be. Jim Rye used to be able to. Yeah, I can. I can stream. Yeah. But because there's an issue with the uh, two-factor authentication that needs to be resolved, he's not able to right now. And Ken, well, every time Nobody I trust me, every time I ask for him to be uh, be able to stream, everyone keeps vetoing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. I mean, they they allow me to stream it, so and he's better than I am. Yeah, and Ken, you streamed on your own channel, so you should be able to do it. Well, I know, but I just don't have the credentials to stream on the uh, channel for here. Nobody's ever okay. given them to me. Okay, <laughs> I think we should rectify that. Yeah. Uh, but we can do that off the air. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, now we're going to go through the process of uh, authenticating me to... Uh, well, let's go ahead and just give out the stream keys and password right here, right now. There we go, live on yeah. the air. And also, Ken's uh, phone number for the uh, t the text message to authentic second authentication. Then everyone can do it. Yeah, I'm not sure why you need the two factor authentication because I start streams without it. So I'm not sure what. what it the depends issue on is how there. how you go about doing it. So yeah, you're already authorized, and so am I. That's why it's we don't need it. But to authorize a new person, you have to have it. Mm, okay. I hope it's not a phone so, number because my phone only works about half the time. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch for that. <laughs> so I guess uh, Terry be on standby. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Back to aside this. from the problems of streaming on Thursday, so we, all, we, we all ended have, up being a little late. We ended up being a little late, but uh, we had a few people playing both games. So was a small crowd, but we had fun. Mostly making fun of Sloopy because he wasn't there. As is tradition. What do I mean when I am there? What difference does it make? <laughs> you exactly. got you there, Ken. As is well, tradition. We have, we have fun when Sloopy's there making fun of him, and we have fun when Sloopy's not there making fun of him. So Yeah, you have you have to be uh you have to be versatile. Yeah. So, it was probably more mean when I wasn't there because you couldn't be muted. So we, <laughs> we still ended up ended up with an hour and a half show. Yep. All right. So aside from technical problems, good show Thursday nights. Discord, join us. Come on, people. Why aren't you there? What What else do you have to do on a Thursday night? And even if for some working. weird reason you can't make the live stream, you can at least have us running in the background with the chat open and you can like ridicule us for playing games badly. Yeah, these days I'm working on Thursday nights for whatever reason, so that's why I can't make it right now. Oh, come on. What's more important, us or work? <laughs> um, well, you guys are important, but the residents of the program I work at are also important. And they're here and I have to take care of them. Do we need to change? Well, the we're just another set of res residents. <laughs> I 
You could have them come on and play too. There's there's a there's a different place that I would have this set of residents be. I believe it has padded walls. <laughs> a nice safe place. Yeah. A nice a nice padded place. Where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those fine young men in their clean white shirts and they're coming to take me away. <laughs> what about the uh, panel on this show? <laughs> it's a this it's thing. a padded room panel. You can, you can see, like, I'm playing Cuthbert in the lower right corner, and I've got the white padded room right around my screen there, you can tell. <laughs> As with the Time Fighter uh, screens. Yeah. It's only Bob that's not, uh, <laughs> he's got to be different and not have a padded room around his screen. I find that ironic, because Bob's usually the guy who's playing any game but the ones that are actually part of the challenge that week. So. <laughs> oh, give him time. <laughs> he usually does start with them. He just doesn't end with them. My cow's giving me dirty looks. And he says he's listening. Anyhow. <laughs> 8 bits in the basement says that it's 2 a.m. where he is, lives, so uh, otherwise he'd be there. So he's mm-hmm. trying to say that sleep is more important than us. Psh, how rude. Oh, you know what? It's 8 o'clock here when it starts, and I'm able to sleep through it just fine. <laughs> it's 4 in the morning for Nick. I'm sleeping now. <laughs> well, it's too hot in Australia to sleep. Plus, everything's trying to kill you, so you have to always be kind of awake. Right. <laughs> All right. So, shall I uh, inflict the next game on you yeah, guys? Yes, so let's, let's finish off January's uh, death challenge uh, gaming okay. stream. Okay. Uh, so, I decided to go with something a little bit different this week because we like are even harder. Time fighter. Oops. So, we are going to play Dynacalc. Woo-hoo. Whoa! But what do I want to use Spectaculator? Oh, no. Wait, no, that's not Dynacalc. Oh man, it's a different game. Hundred exponential square roots. I think I think you uh, I think you mis misspelled it. <laughs> Does anybody know this game? Yes, the Amigos just covered it. It was actually written in England originally mm. for the Dragon, and came yes, across catacombs. from Computerware in. Except it's not a pixel perfect game. That's is true. it called Catacombs? No. Nope. Oh. There isn't a Kyoko game called Catacomb, but that's this is it, not it. It looks like it's vaguely uh vaguely like turn-based CRPG thing, maybe. It is not turn-based. It's not turn-based, it's, it's real time. Are oh, there any dear cats? God have mercy? <laughs> Written no, by no JSoft cats. from the UK. Wow, looks like it's got a little bit of unintentional artifacting then. Yes. Some of it's intentional, some of it's not. It's kind of the way they set it up. The original version for the dragon was plain black and white, so... Oh, and we are playing this game on level two, just so everybody knows. Now, it's three, three skill levels. Three, le- three levels yeah. you can... Three skill levels. Doesn't matter which character you play, it's level two. And... Hey, hey, what's the game? Oh, well, no, I'm not going to tell you that. You kind <laughs> of can figure it out from this screenshot. That, that would make it too easy... Play this game this week if you can figure yeah. out what it is. Just go to my game's website, go through all 700 and some odd pages I've currently got up and find it's the game. It's in there. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you have to do. Also, it, <laughs> it does help. That's a clue. It is listed on Curtis' site. I'm like... I don't like the other 800 games I haven't got up there yet. <laughs> so there you go. They're, they're just to make everybody happy. It's Middle Kingdom. 
Oh, well, yeah. it is, it is oh. a middle-of-the-road choice there. So it's a, yeah, it's a Dungeons & Dragons-style game. And, mm. uh, yeah, you can play either a merchant, a warrior, or a wizard. And uh, your score isn't actually based on your time, so it doesn't matter if you play it on uh, slow, medium, or fast. That's just how fast the uh, messages scroll across the, go across the screen. So if you're impatient, fast is the best. Now, Ken, did you get a check, chance check? Is the manual for this one on the archive? I have no idea. What's so a I'm manual? Trying to, there's a mission. I think you have to bring certain things back to the room you started from, if I remember. I believe, well, according to this L. Curtis Boyle's website, um, the <laughs> uh, mission of the game is to uh, collect all of the magic rings. Right, yeah, there's three rings yeah. you got to bring back, I think, to the original room, if I remember. And if I remember earlier, you can't always go by that site. No. No, it's totally <laughs> unreputable. It's it's the one where the guy can talk. <clears throat> Anyways, a little bit of a different game, and it's not a difficult game. It's not you just uh, and uh, one one neat thing about it is like different weapons will do different amounts of damage against bad guys, and you can actually change your weapon midway through your fights. So just by hitting the number of where your weapon yeah. is. If you want a good summary of the game, um, the Amigos just did it recently on the Coco Show in the last couple months, I think. I gotta start um, paying more attention to that. You don't pay attention to the Coco Show? Uh, I've been lax on doing that. I've been busy. Hmm. They they fairly liked it too, and they actually got some deep background details in the original Dragon version and stuff too. So. A little bit of history there that I didn't even have when I wrote the website entry years ago. Well, there you go. If you want to know more about the game, go to the Amigos show that they did a little while ago. Otherwise, yeah. just jump in and play it. It's not actually that hard to figure out. Yeah. I would agree. So there you go. I wonder how long it's going to be, how long it's gonna be before this cat. Hmm? Sorry, Nick. Say, Nick? Nick. Nick and then Mark. Uh, was the game originally a, a P mode three game? No, nope, originally P mode four, black and white. Black and white, right? They did some tweaks to it to like if you look at the the title shots that the Amigos put up there, the the screens are a little bit different because it was designed purely for black and white on the Dragon, but they did change some of the walls and stuff, so you do have some color, but they didn't oh, change right. the actual shapes of the opponents and stuff, so you you get the artifact frame type thing. And what was that about your cat, Mark? How long is it going to be before it figures out it's not going to get any sleep sitting on my lap? And finally get pissed off and move. Are we taking bets on this, or is it just... Inquiring minds want to know. Let me oh, fire it up down the couch there, and I'll, I'll keep track well, of betting what. I, there we go. It's if you seen... throw it like that, it's definitely not going to get any sleep. <laughs> that's right. Oh, no, that's, that, that's just a, a, Mark that's just cat a simple toss. toss. Yeah. That's, that's right. cat abuse. That's the uh, cat toss. Well, that's the bed with the heated blanket that's currently on, so you'd think it'd like it better. I've got no, it's it up more, to a It's six. more convenient to be on your lap. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, uh, next up, uh, announcements. Okay. Uh, Grant, did you want to... challenge, right? What's that? That's the end of the game on results, right? 
Yep. Yeah. That is that. That's yep. it. I'm okay. Done. Announcements. All right. Just have a couple of announcements here for Cocoa Fest. Uh, just to let everybody know that I have added 14 tables now that are available in the hallway. So um, that will hopefully alleviate some of the issues we are having with uh, tables running out. Last I checked this afternoon, we have three tables left inside the uh, inside the uh, meeting room and then 14 are out in the hallway. And those will have electricity as well, too. So you are able to uh, you know, hook it up to electricity and set up your booths. And make sure you decorate your booths in Star Wars because it is May the 4th. So we definitely would like for everybody to uh, do a Star Wars theme. And there might be some money involved, too. You never know, Curtis. <laughs> Star Trek. I'm still not. going Star Trek. Remember, Star Trek, bring Star your Trek. Spock ears, everyone, for, for <laughs> May 4th. I am definitely going Battle Beyond the yeah. Stars. <laughs> Doc, Doctor Who and the Daleks, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, also, I'd like to thank uh, Retro Rewind. They have also sponsored us again this year as well. So I'd like to sh give a shout out to them and say thank you very much for helping us out. So uh, one other thing, too, if you want to give a presentation, there are three spots left for presentations. So if you'd like to be uh, giving me a presentation, then just get in touch with me uh, either on Discord, uh, email, or um, yeah, or email. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the only two ways to get a hold of me. So uh, got three spots left. That, to help entice it. people to want to go to the show besides seeing Brian Weasler and his vast collection of stuff nobody's ever seen before, um, do you, can you announce what the presentations you have booked so far? Uh, not yet. Okay. Not yet. Everything's everything's kind of up in the air still. So I'll, I'll say you're, you're one of them. So you very good. I am? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be talking about why Star Trek is better than Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you and Ken are doing one. Last I thought I did. You were. So... So any Ken, do you know anything about this? What? I'm going to predict their boat. I thought you canceled Sunday. Sunday. Oh no, we would do this Saturday. So you guys talk about Nitrous Nine all day. Well, no, no, no. I explicitly in my contract, I only do presentations on Sundays. Hey, Grant. Yes. If you could, on L. Curtis Boyle's talk, could you put that on Monday? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it for my car. That sounds good. Yeah, I could definitely work on that. <laughs> so, any uh, word on the hotel as far as how many rooms are left available and things like that? Oh, there's plenty of rooms available. We won't run out. There's no oh, way we okay. can book that. We won't be able to book up that whole hotel. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to actually get my try. reservation made this last week. So, thanks for reminding yeah. me, Grant. I have to do that this weekend. Oh. Yes, we can try to fill it up. <laughs> we can, but mm. there'll be a lot. <laughs> Maybe there'll be another wedding going on, and uh, they can have their picture taken at Cocoa Fest. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Actually, that was classic. And and Robert Killings really got tickled pink seeing those photos. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and by the way, too, John Lowry uh, went over to uh, Columbus, Ohio, and picked up some auction items for us too. So, uh, thanks oh, to John nice. for doing that. So, oh, cool! I'll be bringing some auction items stuff down too myself. I got a box already set aside for it. How big of a box? <laughs> we got a lot more back that we can get rid of, Curtis. <laughs> this stuff, I'm keeping this. That's when when I die, I'll will it to Glenn. Said <laughs> so. Next week, maybe you might get it. This just make sure that you will it first and you will it before yeah. you die. Then yeah, die. exactly. <laughs> yeah, we've all learned that lesson after what's happened recently. Uh -huh. 
And that's all I have. Okay. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, actually, cool. and actually, just to let everybody know, we are 99 days out. They're 98. So we just hit the 100-day mark here just recently. So it's coming up quick. Everybody arm your sofas. <laughs> right. Strap them down so they don't fall off in the road. Yep. Yeah, Terry. Well, Terry's watch out for Terry. coaches. Yeah, that was Terry that did that. Kind of an unofficial oh, survey. Uh, uh, out of those of us on the panel here, uh, raise your hand if you're going. Uh, I'm planning on it. Whee! Yeah, I hope. I better be there. You guys ain't going to have a fest. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like Ken's going. Style. He left already. He's already gone. And don't oh, look at me. <clears throat> Grant, Grant's going? Yeah, I'm going. <laughs> oh well if grant's going then i don't know right. i don't know we're gonna right. start a drama free edition of coco fest for the rest of us here while grant goes to the drama one. <laughs> all right sloopy your voice is low my voice is low uh-huh you around you out. so what what you were saying something uh no i was just telling grant no i'm not wearing his name badge this year that was just too much stress <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see why. Okay. Uh, let's see. Curtis, you had an, you have announcements. Yes, I do. Uh, let me bring them up here. <laughs> Trying to make that kind of a little separate segment than the news. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We can do kind of a break after that, and I can do the game news and the regular news all in one fell swoop. Okay. Hey, so first up, <clears throat> next week, interview with Glenn Dahlgren. Um, so he's coming back to uh, announce both his final book and his chaos series, which you can see here. And uh, I believe the book goes on sale into February. He's already been doing book tours, kind of promoting it ahead of time. And uh, he's also bringing some stuff that he's found buried away in his archives of stuff that was created for Sundog and for the Coco and, you know, some of his game development stuff and promotional items that we have not seen before. And I've not seen before that he's also going to be showing on the show. So it'd be kind of a, combination of Coco stuff and his new book that ends the Chronicles of Chaos series. So wait a minute. The, the actual launch of the book is supposed to be February 27th. So be here or be square next week. Next up we got VCF SoCal. This is where Steve Bjork's uh, Coco 1 repacked in a Model 3 is going to be one of the exhibits from what I heard from the person that has it from buying from the estate sale. Um, this one, of course, is February 17th, 18th in Orange, California at the Hotel Fair Event Center. And uh, they've been actually been bumping up the uh, speakers now. So I think last week I had mentioned that uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes, the guy who does FujiNet, and he's working on the Cocoa version even as we speak. In fact, he's uh, well, there's a bit of an update on that on the news will be coming up here. He was announced as one of the speakers already. Um, but now they've also added in another person who's familiar to the show. He's actually been our guest before which would be Randy Kinday. He's going to be there uh, getting the most enjoyment from your vintage computers with modern upgrades, which would be stuff like the Cocoa SDC on the Cocoa. So uh, there's a couple of people we know that'll be making speeches, et cetera, there. They also did an update recently from the people that have organized the show. They did a one-hour stream this past week. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, Sloopy or anybody else that you know generally tends to watch those podcasts a lot more than I get a chance to uh, did any of you catch what they mentioned? There was anything special about the show they needed to talk about, or is Slippy even here still? On Randy's show? No, on um, oh. 
the VCF SoCal sh stream oh, okay. itself. Okay, I sorry. I didn't really uh, catch it I've been okay. this week. Because they've been doing a couple of these update live streams where people come in and ask questions and stuff, and I just didn't have time this week to do much anything. So, All right. I'm hoping some Cocoa people can get down there because I'd really like to get some pictures and stuff up close of the uh, Stibiarca Model 3 repack uh, with Coco innards, and also if the guy brings any of the other stuff, because he bought more than just that at the uh, estate sales, so maybe there'd be some other rare stuff to at least get pictures of, or maybe try to arrange with them to do scans of books or um, source code listings or whatever else, uh, whatever else the guy picked up. I've kind of been losing track as to who bought what in that auction sale. So hey, that's that's not too far away. That's like literally three three half weeks, maybe three weeks. Yeah, Randy from the uh, floppy days there. He recently did an interview on his podcast with the whole crew of people that put the, that are putting that on. Yeah, I think that was last week. He did that, if I remember, wasn't it? Or yeah, two weeks ago? I, I do remember. I did see that one. Yep. Uh, next up, the interim computer festival, which is up more around Mark Overholzer and Tim Linder's uh, way, is happening on March twenty third and twenty fourth. So that's about two months out. Um, and they've got actually have, they've got the actual schedule up here now. So Friday they got the exhibitor setup begins at four thirty in the afternoon, uh, ends at nine, and then Saturday they've got the um, volunteer huddle. The doors open at ten a.m. Uh, day one ends at six p.m. on the twenty fourth. They uh, open at ten a.m. again and end at six p.m. And they were starting to get speakers and stuff too. I don't think any have been officially announced yet. Well, there's some people that have kind of like expressed interest in doing announce or uh, doing seminars, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see what all is in there. Actually, looks like they've added a few here. Anyway, you can check out the uh, link at sdf.org slash ICF. And hopefully the show becomes successful enough that it can become an officially sanctioned VCF show again like it used to be before, before COVID, I guess. And that would be cool. Yeah. Next is the one that I got uh, reminded about and I'd kind of forgotten about. So my apologies to Randy Kindig because he's one of the organizers of it. That's the Indie Classic. So this is the Classic Computer and Gaming Expo, April 13th to 14th in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Crown Plaza. Of course, Randy Kindig, as we mentioned earlier, is the uh, host of the Floppy Days podcast. And I think he also does, what's the Atari podcast, that Antic or something? Or You should know, Sleepy, you're an Atari guy. No, Antic is uh, the guy from Portland, Oregon. Um, can't remember his name off. Anyway. Yeah, because Randy did a Atari one too. I'm just trying to remember. We we covered it during his interview. <laughs> yes, the Antic podcast. <clears throat> Sorry. Yes, it was the Antic podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought. No, I thought that was Kay Sabbats that did the Antic podcast, but maybe it's Randy. Or maybe they co-do it. I can't remember how it works, but. Anyway, um, that's happening on Saturday and Sunday. Pricing is five dollars a person or ten dollars per family, um, and that's in mid-April. Uh, last year was actually the, I think the weekend after Cocoa Fest, and I, if I'd had enough money to hang around down in the states for an extra full week, I might have considered going, but just couldn't work it out. Anyway, you can find out more about that at indie i n d y classic dot org. Next is the big one. We are all waiting to go see what all Brian has. That's the whole reason to go to the show. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a 32nd annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. As it says here on their webpage, less than 100 days away, as Grant also mentioned, 97 days, 18 hours, and 
Exactly 18 hours. Okay. Um, that's at the Holiday Inn and Suites, uh, Chicago Carol Stream, same place as it was last year. Um, as Grant mentioned, if you want to be an exhibitor, there's only three tables left in the main room. And if uh, you come in a little bit later, you'll get some ones that we've managed to extend into the hallways. I should mention there was some hardware stuff going on in the hallways last year. I remember Ken and Taylor and Amy were all working on Model 100s, if I remember, in one of the hallways. So that's that'll hardly be new having exhibitors out there. Yeah, it'll be nice if we actually have tables to work on this time yeah, rather than chairs and sitting on the floor. <laughs> like working working with electronics on a carpeted floor, all that static yeah. electricity. Well, hundreds of people wander around you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that'll be fine. <laughs> yep. That was funny. Anyway, be there, be square. This is definitely going to be one for the ages. It's probably going to be one of the most interesting ones in in, in years just because of what Brian's managed to get from Robert Kilgus. Um, and Ken and I will be going to visit Robert uh, the Friday before the show starts to interview Robert Kilgus at his home. And we'll bring back, you know, some tales from that, I'm sure. When are you getting there, Curtis? You're going to be there Thursday or Friday? Uh, we're going to come in Thursday night and drop most of our stuff off at the hotel. Then Friday morning, we're driving out to see Robert and coming back by Friday evening. And where's Robert at? Flint, Michigan, roughly. Oh, wow. That's going to be a little bit of drive. Six hours. You Americans are so lazy with driving. My God. Oh, that's just, that's like a trip to the store for Curtis. It's literally like going out to my uncle's place. You know, it's like a day trip. I, I'm I'm sorry. I live in Massachusetts now, but I did, but I did most of my growing up in West Virginia, and the nearest beach that, of any report what's of any capability whatsoever was nine hours away. Now that I live in the Northeast, it's like my family is twelve to fourteen hours away. What's what's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. We drive twenty hours to come to the fest every year anyway. Like I don't understand the the problem with the four. Yeah, Jeez. I mean that's that's like that's like about three quarters of the way down to Florida for me. So. Yeah. yeah, but usually you take the scenic route, Curtis. You'll go, you'll go like home through West Virginia from Chicago. No, that's when it's a thirty-hour drive. The twenty hours is straight to Chicago. Yeah. Trust me, going through West Virginia adds easily eight hours to eight to sixteen hours to your drive. But at least you <laughs> might see Mothman. So there's that. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, and just to let everybody know too. I just looked it up here. The dinners are selling pretty good too. So uh, make sure you get that dinner. We're oh shoot, bar- I got to do that. We're having barbecue this year. Yeah. I don't want to have to pay restaurant prices. <laughs> yeah, that is something that's really increased the last year or two. Holy cow. Yeah, it has. Even McDonald's is expensive now. I know. And the Big Mac is like 18 bucks now for the meal. It's like, Chicago land. Of course it's expensive. It's almost true, as true. bad as living in is being in Boston. I might I might have to hit some roadkill on the way just so I can bring some stuff to eat. <laughs> oh, which reminds me, is Curtis going to be doing the uh, candy bars this year? Yes. And this time I'm going to make damn sure they're in my car before I leave. <laughs> there you go. I'll try and remind them. No, no $220 shipping yeah. fee on this one this time. <laughs> and still get it a week late. Well, Curtis, you could also stop at Trader Joe's. I heard Ken has kind of a fondness for there. Uh, <laughs> it's not, I don't have a hatred. I just don't see the appeal. What's what the what deal- is Trader Joe's again? Trader Joe's is a, just a supermarket. It's a, yeah, it's really funny too because there's two Aldis in Germany, and in the United States they are Aldis, which is the cheap grocery store, and Trader Joe's, which is a very expensive grocery store. 
they both came from the same parent company. The only difference was one of the brothers didn't want to sell cigarettes, so they had Aldi North and Aldi South. We got Aldi and Trader Joe's. It's really had, weird. And I've always, whenever I mention I'm going down to the states, I just get everybody saying, "Oh, you got to stop at Trader Joe's. You got to best place in the world. Best place in the right. world." I walk What's in, it's point? like this looks just like the grocery store just down the they street have, from they me. They have extra organic fufu and. Uh, very overpriced sauces. Okay, so, I, I've actually been that. Yeah, it's nothing to write home about. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, but a Bucky's is where you need to go. Yeah, there I want to go to a Bucky's. Bucky's brisket. That'll get you by. Yeah. I'd be happy with Cracker Barrel like we used to do at the old Elgin shows. Oh, oh, Cracker Barrel's Cracker Barrel. The only thing I have against Cracker Barrel is that they don't have sausage gravy. Yeah, ha- if you're going down and you're going to be anywhere near Ohio, you got to get down to where there's a Bob Evans and get some real <laughs> sausage gravy. Right, I have been to Bob Evans. Yeah, they closed all those yeah. over here. And to, yeah. over here? to get the backstory, the city. Little, to get oh. a little backstory there for the jab on uh, on on Ken, there's a watch out one of Ken's more recent YouTube videos there, and that'll give you the the reason why I uh, I brought that up. Oh, the chocolate bar saga. No, 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 the, no. the uh, or... the 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 Trader Joe's thing. Oh, the Trader Joe's one. Okay. Yep. Oh, there's yep. two sagas. Yeah, if you're wondering about the chocolate bar thing, Ken also did a video on that. <laughs> no, but no, Ken recently did a video there that uh, he talks about that. So go watch that. Okay. I'll still go to Cracker Barrel instead. <laughs> I can tell y'all none of none of y'all are from the East Coast because not one person's mentioned Wawa. You know, I've never been to a Wawa. You know, the... I, I've been to Wawa in Florida and I was not impressed. I do actually okay. have to say for Trader Joe's, though, their coffee beans are good and cheap. They're very cheap compared to coffee in Canada. <laughs> oh, that makes okay. that's a good point. Is uh, who's all bringing coffee to Cocoa Fest this year? Oh, shoot. I got to bring the I got to bring the Bustello. I got to bring the Bustello. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I was just going to get an IV drip like I usually do. So, <laughs> yeah, somebody brought a big uh, pot there last year. Coffee that's pot. Me, that's me, Grant. I have everything. I'm I'm planning on bringing the big uh, the big huge coffee pot, coffee creamer, sugar cups. Okay, so I will not get coffee at the Cocoa Fest. Then we will spend it more on hot cocoa and tea. Then I do believe that they did not tell us about this coffee last year, did they, Curtis? No, they did not. Well, wasn't there was a little bit of a we were kind of a little bit of a sticky point because we were buying coffee from from the hotel, so we had it kind of in a back room there. We'll put forefront. We'll put it out in the uh, out on the floor this year. You so. you hit it from oh, me oh, and Curtis okay. is what you it, did. It, it, it can't yeah. be on the floor this year. <laughs> we'll keep it in the office. Ken, do you go. still have your coffee stuff from your coffee shop? Uh no. Well, I mean, I could bring my entire um, setup <laughs> down, but. I don't know how I would ever get a. Because I'd 400... like to see Ken set up an espresso bar or something right at the show. I have no but... idea how I'd get a four hundred pound espresso machine on the uh, airplane. <laughs> yeah, that'd be difficult. Mm. Oh, you're flying mm. this time? Uh, just out to Partly. Saskatoon. Oh, okay, and back. Then I'm driving down with yeah. Curtis, and then I'm flying back from Chicago. So you're yeah. flying away from Chicago to Curtis, so that you can then drive back. To no, Chicago. he's flying away no, from I'm Chicago and Curtis, Curtis is what he's doing. I'm flying from here to Curtis. Then we're driving down to Cocoa Fest. Then after Cocoa right. Fest, I'm driving. I'm flying home. No, he's oh, on the going. West Coast like I do, so he's flying yeah. east pretty much all the way. Oh, is this way Ken back. gets to cut in half the amount of nitrous nine crap that I spew into his head the entire drive? <laughs> yeah, so basically. he should be more sane at the end of this one. <laughs> that, 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 you're going to fly home. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm well, flying. Yeah. I'm not. I'm flying to Saskatoon. Then I'm getting in with Curtis. 
Yeah, and we drive okay. 20 hours. Normally, you, I drive to Saskatoon and then jump in Curtis's car with him. But and this time, I'm you flying. You didn't want to just fly all the way to Chicago? Well, I, I like the drive with Curtis. Oh, then why aren't you driving back to Curtis's then? Because I have to get back here by um, Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and I've got another trip to that. Pennsylvania I got to make on Monday, so there's no way I'd get back in time. Yeah. Well, I'll be praying for another ice storm for you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> how nice. Yeah. 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 Die. That worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> it won't as be as bad as Curtis... if I have the chocolate bars actually in the car, though. That offset. And as long as Curtis doesn't take his uh, winter tires off ahead of time. If <laughs> yeah, that was my other mistake. Actually, <laughs> honestly, in that ice storm, I don't think it would have mattered. No, it didn't help, but it didn't. Nothing nothing drives on ice. No. Zambonis. (laughs) Ah, I got you there. Yeah, but you got two Canadians there. They'll break out into a hockey game if we do that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I I had it happen once that I went to a fight and a hockey hockey game broke out. But no, seriously. Oh, there's an oldie. Bench clearing hockey game. Sorry, go ahead, Grant. Seth, I really do think this is going to be one of our best Cocoa Fest. So I think uh, if you've really been wanting to come, this this is going to be the year to come. So, yeah, I mean, just honestly, just from what Brian's bringing, you definitely should be there. You're going to see some history you've never seen before. Not even in and Curtis will be there. Oh, well, no, that's kind of a disappointment <laughs> than anything. Unless you're there for the chocolate bars, then it's okay. I'm beginning <laughs> to feel the pressure now. <laughs> <laughs> you better impress everyone. <laughs> If you get sick, uh, Brian, we're going to bring you into the hospital bed with an IV drip and the whole thing. So just to warn you, (laughs) (laughs) I'll be driving up to pick him up. Trust me. He's just a few, (laughs) he's just a couple hours away. (laughs) Anyway, I thought I'd show this. This is the other version of the map. It doesn't have all the names assigned to it, but you can see by the red check marks, there's only three tables left inside the main hall 39, 37, and 43. I like me. You've got the names if you want them. Yeah, definitely go there. Um, this is just the one that's actually on the tandylist.com. Yeah, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see where they added the uh, outside hall- hallway ones. So. Yeah, that's the 100 plus ones? Yeah. 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 Where's the map of the out the hall tables? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, because we normally have, isn't it over here, Grant, that we have the uh, registration? So yes. are we putting it down over here, or is it going to be in that area too, or down this it'll side? Be, it'll be on both sides. So we're going to wrap it around if we have to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then right, the most because... important part, what part of the room is the coffee machine going into? Because Ken and I need to know. Yeah. So that will be in the office. Remember where the sliding door is where you registered? We'll keep it in there. What? We have to walk out of the main hallway or main room to get to the coffee? You That's need the exercise. You need the exercise, Curtis. Ken, we're going to have to bring really big cups this year. Yeah, we bring like a hose in or something. I mean, there's going to be tables there anyway in the hallway, so it's not like you're really leaving the venue. I guess that's true. Technically. <laughs> As he pushes up his nerd glasses. And that reminds me, by the way, Curtis, do, do you think we need, a, I need to get a hold of Jason and talk uh, about setting up a tour for the BCF Midwest? Because we didn't do that last year, did we? Well, we kind of, well. Yeah, because they because they were yeah, remodeling. They were in the middle of uh, remodeling. Yeah, right. yeah, because you guys got sought out afterwards at VCF, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll 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 talk to Jason and see if we can maybe get something scheduled. And you're going to be gone Friday night, so you, Friday night won't work for you, or will it? Oh no, we'll be there Friday night. Okay, just Friday during the day because we're going to be leaving early in the morning to to Flint and then interview Robert and then come back. Okay, great. 
Cool. Next up is Boat Fest 3, June 14th to 16th at the Social Event Space in Hurricane, West Virginia. Slightly different location than last time, but only a couple blocks away. Boat has announced on their Discord that there's actually some brand new restaurants have just opened up in their area. So there's a wide variety of food. There's a pizza place that Ken and I went to last year. Um, the, one of the days we're going to be going to the restaurant that Boat's wife started up this past year. And then there's a new burger place, which actually has decent prices. I was quite surprised. You can actually get burgers for like five or six bucks there. Uh, that just opened up. So that's another place to go that's within you know two block walking distance of the venue. So it's not um, called Burger King, is it? Nope. It's not a fast food one at all. Just and he actually published the entire menu on their Discord. So if you're on their Discord, you can check it out. Is this town that small or something? Or Hurricane's what, about six thousand people or something, I think. Oh wow, that is small. Do you do you yeah, remember it's, it's uh, tiny. Henry? Yeah, it's tiny. I don't remember what it is, but the big town, the big town to the west is Huntington, where I where I did my growing up, and Huntington's only like thirty five thousand. Hurricane's small; it's got to be like wow. three thousand. As you can see from the map, there's no roads going there. Yeah, also, no as you can also see, there's no streets. There's no not, no. I'm just kidding. And also, <laughs> your um, GPS does not work there at certain Remember areas. That. If you're yeah. going, oh, yeah. game of life does going not on. work. Yeah. Oh, there's actually signs saying your GPS will not work in this area. Don't trust it. So, yeah. if I was to fly in, where would I fly to? Charleston, probably. Charleston. Charleston, Either okay. Charleston or Huntington. Okay. Yeah. Charleston's where Huntington most of them has... fly in. And, and we do actually arrange, like Boat and, and Aaron arrange for people to go pick people up if they can get a bunch at once. Because some of the people are flying in from England and stuff to the show. So, yeah. It's oh, wow. slightly closer to fly into Charleston, slightly more convenient because uh, Charleston's a bigger airport than Huntington is. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even know Huntington had an airport. <laughs> yeah. It's actually not in Huntington. It's in like uh, Cerrito or something like that. Yeah, Franklin Harris says uh, Hurricane right now is at currently at uh, fifty two hundred people. So, wow, that's a big city. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> that, that was that's smaller than Chillicothe, Ohio. Um, that's like three times the size of my town. You're in you're in you're in the Ta you're in the Taze Valley region. It's it's gonna yeah. be that's 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 there's not basically three small... little towns all along that highway valley. I think all in yeah. a row, and, you know. It's like you've got you've got towns and you got towns in that section of the, of the in that section of the state and around that part of the state where the town size is literally like not over a thousand. Yeah. So which Ken and I are used to out here, but I don't think a lot of people in the states are used to um, towns being that small. And what about hotels? Uh, do they have a hotel booking, or is it all on our own? It's basically on your own, but there's a hotel that's not too far away. Uh, I actually walked there the one day. Because uh, I forgot something and I didn't want to bug Frank and you know borrow his car or something, so I walked back and then walked, picked up what I'd forgotten and walked back, and that took me I don't know forty five minutes maybe. And I'm trying to remember what's what's the hotel, uh, Ken? Do you remember? It's a Holiday Inn or something. Remember, there are some okay. hotels there, but yeah, okay. And are you going and, this year? And, yes, I am. And Ken, I believe you are too. We're meeting down there again. I do believe I am. Yes. Okay, yeah. that's a good reason not to go then. <laughs> and if i'm not mistaken that, that oh man and if i'm not mistaken it's not that far from west virginia's only amusement park hey there camden you go park? could be camden it's park definitely a lot of fun it's a retro gaming and computer show so it's it's not strictly coco obviously there is coco's there um but there's a lot of stuff and like like i mentioned before some people fly in from europe and they'll bring like european treats for people to try and of course they know a lot of the european consoles a lot better than any of the locals do so they'll you know, show you tips and tricks on these machines and stuff too. So it's a lot of fun. And they're not they're not coming to uh, Coco Fest this year, right? 
No, uh, they're basically budgeting for one major show besides their own each year. And I think they're going to the World of Commodore in Toronto. Oh, this, year. this is another reason why I'm not going to their show now. <laughs> <laughs> so diplomatic. But, no, I really want to go because it's last two t- two years. It looks like it's been a lot of fun. So I'm going to try yeah. to go this year. Uh, and Ken, you saw Frank's a- message to you in the chat? You're muted. No, I should look. Come to Toronto and I can go with you guys. I'll see about that. It's just going to be right at the time that I get to my cabin. So it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. You'll have to hear about commies the entire way instead of EOU. Oh, no, I steer him away from that. And what's the cost of that? I'm sorry. What was the cost? I was Tickets are thirty dollars. Okay, cool. for the whole weekend. For the whole weekend. And there's a limit too, right? So don't wait till the last minute to book it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's higher this year because of the new venue. It says fifty plus tickets available. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Next up, uh, VCF Southwest. This is June 14th to the 16th at the Davidson Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas at Dallas. Um, this is the one where, of course, it's being in Tandy's, you know, backyard from where they were. They actually are having several shows within a show, as they call them. And uh, Tandy Assembly is actually one of those. So basically, people that have Tandy's will kind of get together. I think it's one oh, evening. No, they're both on the same weekend. Yes, yep. that was my conundrum this year, too. But due to circumstances beyond my control, my finances are going to be slightly worse than I was expecting. Because I was planning to go to this because I want to meet with Mark and a bunch of the other Tandy guys before they're no longer here. Um, but I, I've committed myself to going next year. So, so Grant, oh. this is the one you need to go to. Pick me up on the way down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an easy drive. That's only a six, seven hour drive for me. So that's not too bad. Yeah. So, uh, Tandy Assembly is actually having a meetup, kind of like they did in California that uh, Mikey told us about a month or two ago. <clears throat> and they've got a few other ones there too. There's MDCon for Sony Mini Disc enthusiasts. I didn't even know that was such a thing. <laughs> but yeah, Mark Siegel and I was there last year and a few other the Tandy people that had a whole panel actually of Tandy people that were talking about the original development of the video text terminal and the Coco and Model 1 and a bunch of other things too. So you can get a lot of history from the people that were actually there doing it. And that's one of the reasons I definitely want to get down there and try to you know set up some interviews, even if I just do an audio recording or something. But I'd have to wait until 2025 for me, unfortunately. And the only uh, two verified currently uh, speakers for that show, Jeff Wires, Chronologically Gaming, um, who we've also had as a guest on the show. And um, we'll be talking a bit more about him in the um, game stuff because he's actually got some Dragon and Coco stuff that he had on the show this week, including some stuff I've never heard of. Uh, and then Charles Sobey's uh, New Valley and Old Data Recovering Legacy Tapes is another one that they're having. And they're still booking because this is fairly far out in the future, so. And the last one I've got on the schedule is Tandy Assembly itself, 2024. This is not a, just a, a meetup. This is the actual show itself, September 27th to 29th in Springfield, Ohio. And that's at the Courtyard by Marriott Springfield. And um, same location, I think it's been the last few years, if I remember correctly. And, of course, they have Coco people down there. They have Model 1 and 3 people down there. Um, you know, the Xenix people, Model 100s, pocket computers, the whole shebang. 
I know Peter Satinsky has some pretty uh, intricate displays that he puts up at the East here too. And they've even got swag you can get ready to get. So. And that's the end of the upcoming show announcements. Okay. Commercial break. Yeah, commercial break. And then we'll just do game on news and regular news all in one fell swoop. Okay. Hi, I'm Terry Stegge from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. A whole new approach. Faster than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Hey there, I'm Ken from Canadian Retro Things. And I'm Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. Yeah, that was Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. And you're watching the Coco Nation Show. When you want the latest in TRS 80, Tandy, Dragon, MC10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. Or where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. Was that a flop? <laughs> Wasn't me. Hey, so game on news first. So Jim Gary has been busy this week with uh, three more MC10 ports. The first one is called Jumbled Letters. Uh, this is originally by Vivian and Claude Barber for the Alice in 1984. So you'd wonder, since the Alice is actually an MC10 clone, what did he have to do? Well, the original one was written in French. So he had to translate it all. So that's what he did. And... Um, 
kind of a neat presentation of the way it's done here. Uh, drawing the little, you know, the letters and stuff here using graphics as opposed to text. Kind of almost a little bit of an educational game, I guess, but... Uh, yeah, nice, nicely done. I, I, I actually have not seen much of the software that originated on the Alice versus getting ported over from the MC10. So it's kind of cool to see what kind of stuff they wrote themselves. And of course, the Alice, you know, when it got you know into sequels like the Alice 90, etc., did a whole bunch of stuff on their own that was well beyond the MC10. I think oh, we yes. should all put um, some money together to send um, Jerry um, Jerry a uh, TV set because he obviously doesn't have a TV. Spends all his time. But every week doing games. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say to fly him out to the fest or something, because it'd be good to have him out there as a good MC10 representative. He yeah. probably does. He just hooks, his, uh, hooks it up to his MC10 instead of a cable box. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got that RF out can. He's going to use it. Which is probably a better choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, next up, he did a port of a game called Slither, originally by Donald L. McGarry. And this was originally for the Coco, actually. I'll turn that volume down a bit. So this was originally published in Color Computer News in November of 1982, so it's a bit of an older one. And it's your standard snake-style game, except it actually allows diagonal movement, and you try to collect the target shapes, etc. I had some pretty neat programming tricks in it, though, that... Uh, make it run fairly smooth for a basic game. In fact, I think Alison Denewitt actually mentioned that she had used some of the routines and tricks that they used here in, in her own game that she released, I think, about a year and a half, two years ago. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a type in for the Coco originally, and now it's also on the Alice. And the last one is called Killerbot by Roger Olson, originally in 1981. Now, this was a commercial game for the Coco, one of the earliest 4K ones. It was from Aardvark. Um, and it's kind of um, a little bit like a, there's an old game called Escape that I used to play. Um, and the the original version of this actually was called Chase by David Al of Creative Computing, the magazine's fame. Uh, so it has two skill levels, but it's a real-time version of this. So basically you're trying to lure guards into walking into mines to blow up. And I remember playing a turn-based one of this that was actually one of the basic computer books that David Al wrote. Um, but this particular one here is actually in real time and you're trying to make it across the screen into a K, which is designated by a white line. And uh, you've got a couple of options in the game. Um, do you want the you know enemies to respawn or they're dead, you know, forever type thing? So uh, let's fast forward a bit here. You got regular master's level gameplay, um, and you got difficulty levels. It has a fair bit of, you know, customizations. And uh, you can kind of see here. So he's changing graphics and stuff a little bit, too. But basically, the, the blue things are mines. The orange is your enemies. The walking XY thing is you. And it's real time, like I said. And the skill level depends on how fast your opponents move. And you're trying to get across and into the white cave, that little line on the right-hand side, before you get killed. But it can be quite challenging when you start playing with uh, some of the higher skill levels where you get a lot of enemies trying to come after you at once. So anyway, that's one you converted over from the old Aardvark Coco game before K. Next up, Howard Bilson put in, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but play a little bit at the beginning here. It's kind of showing you what it was like in the old days for anybody that's coming into retro late or started on the Coco maybe with a disk drive or something. 
Uh, so he's basically showing in real time what it would be like loading a game onto the Cocoa from cassette and started to play it. And the game he chose was Frogger. And I think this is the micro deal version of it. Is this going to nightmares? What's that? Is this going to give me nightmares? <laughs> Watching loading from cassette again. Bad memories. Not as bad as Rick Adams, I'm sure. It could be worse. It could be Neutroid. Or it could be a Commodore 64 trying to load off cassette. Yeah, like 300 baud. Yeah. <laughs> I just said that for Frank because he's in the chat. <laughs> It's actually using like period correct actual you know computer cassette recorder from Razor Jack. Are we there yet? At least he picked a 16k game. <laughs> and he didn't turn audio on, so you don't have to hear the squeal. <laughs> but everything's period authentic. He's got like an old tube TV, he's got the actual Radio Shack computer graded cassette recorder he's got a 64k coco the white case one mm -hmm. yeah the same one up. that gets chopped up to make a deluxe apparently yeah Ooh, look at the load screen <laughs> yeah yeah she puts it on, on top of the audio which was very luxury a boot screen <laughs> i have to say the dragons did better boot screens because they actually went and did full graphics ones which why they look nice, it's kind of sucks because you're loading a 6K screen most of the time. That takes an extra how much time to yeah, load. So half the game. <laughs> yeah, like literally you're you're doubling the load time just to have a fancy intro screen. So uh next up, I know this is posted by Howard or sorry, um Carlos Camacho. I think I spelled his name wrong in the notes. My apologies. Uh found a copy of an interesting article originally published in Antic magazine, the member 1985 issue. No, Antic, of course, was the Atari magazine. And this is basically talking with Robert Lech, or Lech, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, and Troy Dahlman on their C-O-L-R color graphics editor. And this is for the Atari ST. Um, and basically, the, the gist of the story is they talk a bit of their history of the fact that they did a really good version, though not the best, of uh, Joust on the Cocoa 1 and 2 at first. And they were, of course, the guys behind the rugby circle that also did like Color Caterpillar. They did Death Trap, which is another really good game. They did a lot of really good stuff. And they were one of the first developers to get an Atari ST. They actually got pre-production models that cost them $4,500. So Atari was not giving them free to developers. They had to buy them at an exuberant price. And uh, when they got it, it kind of had the Gemos sort of done, but there was no graphics editors yet. So they had to write their own. And then they uh, showed it to Antic Magazine. And Antic thought, we should sell this. Because at least you have something to design shapes and stuff. So they did a simple graphics editor, which you can see a screenshot. Um, so it goes a bit of a history of the development for Joust because they actually did the official arcade port of Joust to the Atari ST. Um, but talking a bit about the Coca history, they specifically mentioned stuff like the Radio Shack Color Computer Buzzard Bait. Yeah, they didn't mention some of the other products, but it was kind of interesting to read the article. The article actually mentions that one of them was only 14 years old when they started this company. And uh, the other one, I think, was 19 or something. So they both started as teenagers, but one of them was quite young and you know producing decent quality software already at that point. So interesting little bit of history there. Uh, next up, we got four different things from Chronology Gaming. Actually, on the same episode, because um, now he's finished the September 1982 games that we have specific release dates for. And now he's doing all the ones that were released in September. 
And there was four Coco and Dragon games included this time. So I'm not going to play them all here, though I do all of them all queued up. Uh, the first one was called Circus Adventure for the Dragon 32, which is like a young kid's uh, text adventure game, sort of. But it's it's so limited on your options, it's it's not even a full text adventure game. Now, this is one I have not heard of before. Um, it was sold by Dragon itself. I'm not sure if it's based. There was a Circus Adventure from um, Computer Island of Steve Blinn that uh, was sold on the Coco, too. And from around this time period... And I don't know if it's the same one or if this is a completely independent one that just happens to have the same name. But it's recommended for four to eight year olds. And they're showing here the, uh, you know, after they got bought up by Eurohard and, and moved to Spain. That's where the particular shot of the cassette came from. So anyway, um, it's it's a fairly simple game. I'll just play a little bit of here. Cool. It's the easiest text adventure ever. Let's go west. A little bit of, you know, flashing screens and animation to keep the kids interested. We're now at the trapeze. Cool. A little so bit of music. A graphic adventure game, but uh, for younger audience. But you can see it's not like you a true text down. adventure game where you're typing in commands. It's basically, it gives you options of what you can do at any particular point in time, and then you just, you know, pick one. I don't know. Uh, Karen, had you ever heard of this one? What is he saying here? Actually, he did talk about it. He says, not a game, educational thing, some neat semi-graphics animations, multi-part. Okay. Uh, the, next, what? I was going to say the text game, and if you want education, leave it in French. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach you something. <laughs> next up was Color Golf by Tom Mix. <clears throat> now, in this particular case, it's time to play he's showing the Color the Golf Three, which is kind of a revised version. Eighty micro, if you're. Um, so that it had a couple of versions over or upgrades over the years, and they basically just added some lowercase text on a graphics P mode four screen for instructions and stuff. Uh, the original one just basically has the main game; it doesn't have the built-in instructions. Oh, sorry, this is Clans of Balloons first. Uh, Color Golf's next one. Oh, sorry, I said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm probably reading it in Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Clans of Balloons is actually a Steve Bjork one, so my my apologies there. Um, I think most of us have seen them, and I'll just play a little bit in case, just in case you haven't. Goes through the manual and stuff. And this is one that Datasoft put up for multiple platforms. Uh, Chronological Game had already covered the Atari 8-bit machine version of it earlier as well. It, it's an okay game. It's a little bit flickery. There's no, uh, you know, making the the balloons not flicker a little bit. So we first saw this in the arcade. And even as uh, Steve said, you know, as he put in his interview in Color Computer Magazine, some of his early Color Computer programming was rather archaic. And I think he considered this to be one of them. This in popcorn. You're essentially breaking balloons instead of blocks. But he really liked the controls, the analog controls. He said this fit perfectly. It was like, yeah, you know, our, our uh, analog joysticks are almost like having a paddle built in. Okay, this should be the golf one. <laughs> We are flying through the releases. And I do remember seeing the ad here from Tom Mix. And we're back on the Coco. Here's Color Golf. So I'll fast forward a little bit on that one. Actually found the manual sheet for that. That's the entire manual, one sheet there. actually says you first what kind of a club you want. And you the rough and traps. And and this is one of the things that was added later. So somebody added a machine language routine. And this has actually got the bigger font that almost looks like the one you saw in the lower kit. Uh, but it has the mixed uh, upper and lowercase drawn on a P mode 4 screen. 
So that was one of the updates that was done in the later versions. But basically, the main game itself, which is Pimo 1, is basically the same as, as, as the original one. So this is legitimate gameplay, just the intros are a little bit different. Up to four players at once. You base your direction of the club based on a clock. So if you want to fire straight to the right, it's 3 o'clock. And uh, allows decimal values in there, and you get to pick your clubs, etc. And it actually looks like not a bad. I mean, the earlier golf games like this, and he actually rated this as one of the best we've seen so far up till September of 1982 on any platform. Um, that started to change a little bit later because one thing I have to say is that the you know, C64 and a bunch of others got golf games going you know, up into mid to late 80s, <clears throat> and the Coco never really kept up with that. Like they started getting you know sort of semi 3D and scrolling and everything else and we just we just kind of stopped so we never got to that point um which is a little bit disappointing <clears throat> maybe nick could do a golf game after he finishes his, his current project i'm just kidding um. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one that he covered is a one called danger island on the dragon 32 which is another text adventure which i'd not heard of before we're back on the dragon 32 i do like the artwork on the cover here that actually is pretty cool I am not familiar with Danger Island. Anyone here? Of Danger Aaron, you're familiar with this one. There it is. An adventure game in which you fight your way through many obstacles to escape. I don't even think you've even heard of the it's company software for all, uh, to be honest. There's the cassette tape. Are you familiar with it, Nick? Because I know that sometimes the uh, Australian games got sold in the UK. No, This is by R. Dunn. Software for all at sometime in September 1982. Scored a little bit here. If you've had enough, then use quit. Quit. Instructions actually gave you some useful information for a change, which was nice. <laughs> adventure, mainframe. Adventure. But basically, it's just a standard text adventure. Um, and he dies fairly early on, and just like most text adventures when you play them for the first time. And 60 saying, nope, he's never heard of this one either. Although Nick, uh, Tom Eric Gunnison is saying you should do a choplifter clone next. Time now. And then last, sorry, what? I'm just saying that's not a bad game. Yeah, yeah. I, I played that on the Apple when it came out. And it was hugely popular in high school. And the next one here is a three-hour stream that a, a guy named L. Blog D. The Punisher, which translates to basically the blog, Punisher Live blog. And I, I guess he covers Retro Machines. <clears throat> and episode 78 decided to cover the Dragon 32 and 64 covering some of their games uh, for a three-hour stream, and he played a variety of games. Um, there's one big problem, uh, actually two big problems. <clears throat> Whatever emulator he was running was emulating the Coco artifact colors. So unless you had a Tano Dragon, that didn't happen. So it's not quite authentic to this Spanish one. The other thing, <clears throat> and I, like I said, I don't know what emulator he's running, but the emulator was running like crap. And you actually, if you turn the auto-captioning on to translate Spanish to English, You'll see he's complaining how slow some of our games are, like Frogger and a few others. And on his case, they are running really slow. They're running literally maybe half the speed they would have done on real hardware. And, I mean, yeah, the games would suck then. So I'm not sure what happened. I actually left an English comment on here and saying, I don't know what's wrong with your emulator, but it's running really, really slow. They run much better on real hardware. Um, the one I noticed it the most that probably makes it fairly obvious how slow it's running is Frogger. Uh, because you can just listen to the music that's trying to play in the background. Uh, let's 
not. Oh, yeah. Like, that's horrible. Yep. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And all of them are like this. Uh, so he was saying he was disappointed, like the dragon really must not have been a powerful machine, and, you know, it, it runs everything so slow. Some of it looks okay. Like, even stuff like uh, Chucky Egg ran dog slow. So I don't know what issues he's having with his emulator, but uh, he's had, he has a good selection of games going through the history of the dragon, but the gameplay sucks in every single one of them because of that. So I, it's, it's kind of sad that that happened to be a stream, but if you can figure out his emulator stuff, I would love to see him kind of revisit it. I'll send my boys around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Mark Siegel, by the way, has a suggestion for your next game, Nick. I don't know if you caught that in the chat. I, what do you Dino say? Wars 2. <laughs> Not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, with Coco 3 graphics and full speed scaling and you know background roars rather than locking the Could be hmm, fun, graphics yeah. up. Yeah. It, it was funny. I don't know. You guys probably, some of you saw on Facebook that one guy was suggesting that Ninja Warrior was the worst game ever, and then a whole bunch of people just jumped on him because it's not. It's not even close. Uh, but they were mentioning um, Dino Wars as being another one that's hated, and that's another one that you know is either loved or hated. <clears throat> I have not met a young kid that did not like it, even mm-hmm. even now if they're used to like PlayStation Fives. Uh, well, it's, it's just quirky. It's funny because people that understand 3D games look at Dino Wars and understand it. Mm-hmm. Where back in the day, people might not have understood what was trying to happen, and because it doesn't really have the the graph the graphical fidelity to make it blatantly obvious you have to have that middle you know it's getting smaller it's getting closer it's getting further you have to know that and a lot of people didn't at the time and and people did not realize like 3d scaling in 1980 is almost unheard of right on a on a a home computer you might be able to do it like on a pdp or a vax or something like that with a graphics terminal but that was actually something that showed the power of the 6809 because another machine was even trying to do that at that point uh, skiing, another one of Robert Kilgus's game, which has you know the kind of 3D night driver style look, right. where you've got poles going around. Except he added hills, multi-level hills that you're dipping in and under, and you can see the you know the poles go behind the hills and stuff like that. Also, not seen on any other home port of skiing. Well, that's that's another one. If it doesn't snap in your brain, you won't catch that display, and you won't understand what the heck is happening in skiing. Yeah, and his and scan his... routines, I mean, he used it in Quasar Commander, which was one of the launch titles on the Coco as well. Dino Wars, I think, came out a month or two later. It was before the end of the year, but uh, he already had done them in September, as we saw in that newspaper clipping that he sent us. But yeah, uh, this 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 was a video that looked so promising because I was kind of like running through the thumbnails and seeing like, what have you got here? He's got, you know, Donkey Kong Jr., Junior's Revenge, um, Phantom Slayer, BC Bill, you know, Shale and Master, a whole bunch of really cool titles that, you know, if they ran at normal speed, would have been quite impressive, I think, for people that don't know the machine that much. But when it's running, like, with stuttery sound and, and super slow, which it does not do on real hardware at all, it it was disappointing. So I'm hoping he can redo it at some point, because that was so much potential, so, so wasted. Turn-based Frogger. Yeah, it just didn't yeah. work. <laughs> well, actually, didn't somebody program that for the game challenge, Ken? It can run away again. No, nope. uh, Mr. Dave uh, did a um, word text adventure. Version. Oh, yeah, text, text adventure. Version. Frogger. That's right. That's what he did. <laughs> text, text adventure Frogger. Jump north. <laughs> anyway, that's it for the, the game on news. It's a nice short one, but uh, the regular news is actually a little bit bigger than I would have initially guessed. So, 
shift a few windows around here. And there we go. Okay, so Coco Town actually did a couple of videos in the same week, which is a, a rarity for him. He usually does pretty deep stuff, so it usually takes a bit of time to create them. Um, but he did a couple here. So the first one, <clears throat> and uh, the title of it, the, the 64K Problem and How to Deal, Assembly Adventures. And basically, this is uh, able to how, – how to use the full 64K RAM in a Coco 1, 2, or 3. does not require Coco 3 MMU or anything like that, just using the regular SAM bank switching. And then how to be able to access it for extra screen images from basically and he explains how the different map modes work, where you can have 32K on your upper and your lower half, or you can have 32K bank zero as your lower half, keeping the ROMs in or bank one. Uh, so he kind of goes through that and nice little charts and stuff, explain how to use it. And then he actually does a demo where he actually draws five P mode four graphics screens up in the upper 64K and then starts running it as a page flipping animation from the lower 32K program itself. And it does a fairly nice little animation. So I'll just uh, jump into that. Tells us which page we're supposed to be showing. We wrap around that counter. Once we hit five, we wrap around it back to zero. And then we just go back up to the top of the loop. That's the whole thing. So just in case you're curious, how fast can this really go? So if I remove this code that skips every five field sync and actually renders the next page on every field sync, what would it look like? So as a reminder, this is what it looks like when we skip every five field syncs before going on to the next page. And if we don't skip, that's pretty fast. It's kind of wild to think that this is 40 year old hardware. If you look at the stars, you don't even see them separated into indiv individual frames. You basically see all frames at once and they're just like blinking. Mm. And it looks like I'm in the high-speed turbo mode of XROAR, but I'm not. This is the actual normal speed. So that just leaves one thing to... Anyway, if you, if you want to learn how the SAM MMU 32... Or MMU, the SAM 32K bank switching works, this is an excellent video explaining exactly how with example code. And then, you know, an actual semi-practical use for it where you can actually have six, sorry, five, six K screens of P mode four graphics. Now he did an animation loop, <clears throat> but you could have it like if you're writing an adventure game, you could have like say a map screen and then you could have like an in-town screen and an inventory screen, a bunch of other things that take no RAM from your your basic program. You can just flip to them when you need them. So it's it's a good technique to use. And I also mentioned to him in the comments section, because uh, he was asking, he was saying, I'm sure some people third party back in the day used this technique as well. And I mentioned Key264, which is a program that did do this, which added extensions to basic itself to be able to flip the pages and you could, you know, switch between them for graphics, etc. But they also had a sort of a multitasking mode where it would initialize basic in each RAM section and map it onto the bottom 32K, leaving the ROMs in. So if you wanted a task switch or certain hotkeys you would hit, and then it would switch to the other bank, which had been initialized on its own. And then it has special added base commands. You can like grab variables and stuff from each basic program while it's running and send it to the other one or capture it back or whatever type of thing, which actually looks like you could do some pretty interesting stuff with it. Now, unfortunately, that's some, a, a thing we had in our library in my club, but I wasn't, I didn't understand any of that stuff back then. So I kind of looked at it and went, I don't, I don't get this and returned it. But now that I know how that kind of stuff works, it'd be kind of interesting to see what you could do in basic with that. 
especially with all the extended commands that they added. And then he did another one here where he's going into MAME aspect ratios versus real hardware. And this was quite interesting because I've noticed that the uh, the MAME default screen ratio does not look right to me either. And this kind of proves it because he actually ran, like one of the reasons that he's been doing so many things about MAME is actually he's been patching MAME himself to fix you know some bugs or visual display things that are a little bit off. And that's what that video, this video here is about. And I'll just play the beginning so you can kind of see what the... Uh, Aspect ratios is between the three. Let's see if I can find the three here. Hmm. The startup screen. This is real hard. Keep here. this in the middle, and if you use that row of boxes at the top as a ruler, you'll see this takes up eight segments. And this is MAME before my changes. We'll put that on the left, and the active video area of that is also taking up eight segments. And finally, MAME after my changes, we'll put that on the right, and that as well, the active video area is taking up eight segments of the ruler. Given that I'm keeping the width constant, you can use the height as a way to tell whether two of these have a similar or different aspect ratio. So similar heights will be a similar aspect ratio. Also pay attention to the font and some of the upcoming images as a way to tell the difference between these different versions and which have similar aspect ratios. But you see the aspect ratio definitely is off in the original versions of MAME and then his patch mm. one is much closer. This one is especially interesting. These are actually drawn using the basic circle command and they are supposed to be circles. But to me, it looks like the old MAME looks like a circle, and the new MAME and the real Coco are more like ovals that are kind of stretched long. So now right he did is mention... wrong. What's that? I said right is wrong then. <laughs> MAME is doing theoretically square pixels, but we don't have those. Yeah, exactly. He actually goes through and mentions to the uh, the the program that creates this uh, that he found that does this little circle and then does the you know the lines in between has some modifications to do a 0.85 ratio to make it look like a real circle on a real cocoa, um, whereas you use the 1.0 ratio on the original MAME to get the same effect because some cocoa programs that really wanted a true circle on the TV screen knew about this difference because it's a 43 pixel ratio and they actually adjusted for it. And uh, this kind of proves, yeah. So I'm hoping that uh, if Tim Linder and some others kind of review this and, and take a look at the aspect ratios, we might actually get main patch to fix this. Now, I don't know if that affects all 6847s the same. I would assume it would if it's going out to a 60 hertz, 15.75 kilohertz system. Mm -hmm. Like PAL obviously is a bit different, but um, yeah, I, I do remember the circle command was a little bit ovalish even back in the day when I first got extended basics. So this brings back memories of that. And that uh, Coco you know, two or Coco three. It actually, it doesn't matter. This this yeah. would be exactly the same in both. Okay. Anyway, it's a re really interesting, and I, I'm like I said, he's actually patched his version of MAME to do this, and I'm kind of kind of curious if Tim will incorporate this into the main one. Sorry, somebody else was saying something too. No, I was just uh, reiterating what you were saying. That's all. That, that that it doesn't matter what Coco it's on. It's a VDG thing. Yeah. And the gimme emulates the VDG, so it's pretty well doing the same thing anyway, for backwards compatibility. 
Now, Kevin Holloway, if you're still on the call here, I just saw in the chat you said something about did anyone answer Keith March's question? And I don't see his question. It's probably scrolled off. So if you can let me know what the question was, I, I have no idea. And then 60, Kieran is mentioning pixel oh. aspect ratio on modern machines tends to be one-to-one. -one. PAL machines actually tended to yield about one-to-one, -one, whereas NTSC is more like one to 1.2, and that explains the 0.85. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. Or are you there? When Chatty says, will Nitrous 9 run on the MM1 was the question. Which, uh, no. Obviously uh, Nitrous 9 is good. specifically 6809639, unless they've got an emulator that would run it. But, I mean, it has its own version of uh, the windowing system, K windows and stuff by Kevin Darling. So I guess, you know, from a display code sequences and stuff there, you, it's it's fairly close. But it's it's not the same as Nitrous 9 because that's specifically 6809639. Right, we're all the way into OSK with MM1, yeah. right? So. Yeah. yeah, I think it was, what, 2.4 OSK it came with? And then K windows added on top of that, which was... Basically, the level two version three upgrade version of graph driven Winden. <clears throat> so, they had some extra stuff we don't have yet. <clears throat> Next up, um, George Jansen released uh, Lesson Seven of Simple Graphics. So, this is the sequel to the one we covered last week. And I have to do a bit of a correction here. So, on last week's, he, the code that he covered was basically just doing the object structure of the stars. And he actually only had one star enabled in the code. And then he kind of did a sneak preview video at the very end here showing you know, 128 running at once. And I mistook that to mean that he covered that in the code. He did not until this episode. So this actually covers, you know, setting it up for 128 stars, but basically does the same thing. Goes into a nice explanation of how to set this all up and run it. Uh, he did add some stuff in here, though. He's actually got it. Sorry, go ahead. Attempt at our stars. Okay. Oh, sorry. I guess that was actually this kicking in. George. But he's added some keyboard controls to it, which I think he does at the very end here. This one here, where I guess you could call them stars, looks more like snowflakes now going down. Okay, but now he's got controls for changing direction and speed. Up. So we'll change it to up and down. We'll still have the speed fast and slow, but we'll go up and down and quit again. And then last but not least, if we scroll through all these commands back here we'll do star three i do like his command histories we're put it in. all together we can go forward or right and left we can go up and down all within one program and change the speed we can go real fast doing that and go up and go this direction that so that's what our our goal is going to be after a few more lessons and again cue to quit okay just so wait Sorry, go throw ahead, Nick. Throw in a few TIE fighters and you've got a game. Right. You're good. Yeah. 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 No, he's fully capable of doing one. <clears throat> uh, but uh, for those of you who maybe have followed his lesson last week, uh, this is one of the ones where he's taken last week's code and he's added to it. So if you already have stuff typed in, and of course, if you don't want to type anything in, you can go grab it from his channel in our Discord. Uh, but he actually has parts in here where he tells you what you have to add so you don't have to retype the whole thing from scratch you can just pick the code from last week up add the new stuff in that you know handles the multiple stars and then all the other stuff he added in and you don't have to start from scratch and i i like i recommended last week i find it's much easier and and more permanent to retain 
the lesson learned if you type it in yourself versus just loading it off a disk image. I realize that people don't have time. Obviously, you, you won't do that. You'll just get the disk image. But it, it does tend to sink into your head a lot better if you actually type it in. Uh, Cheers, Eddie. Retro Programming did a couple of updates here, too, of his Coco Ultimate uh, updates and nuances. So he's actually changed the mechanic of moving the two characters because you have one joystick and it's a one-player game and your party has two up to four. So he actually has it so that the characters will follow each other and they'll kind of change positions depending on the direction you're going. Uh, and he did two one. Uh, he did uh, the first one here where he kind of does a whole explanation of it. And then he just kind of did a a quick and dirty one here of just showing it in action. So I'll just play a little bit of that. Ah, there we are. So there you see when you start moving vertically, the, the fighter takes the lead and the wizard goes behind. And if you go backwards, it's basically the fighter's in the lead here. So I don't know if he's going to make that settable that you pick who the, who's the uh, head guy of your thing. And he has obviously got some glitches here. Um, if he's going to do that, but it's kind of an interesting mechanic to actually control your party rather than have to move everybody individually, which a lot of the RPGs did back in the day, which is a bit of a pain in the butt. Um, this way it just, they automatically follow each other. And if you can pick a leader, that'd be awesome that you can actually change the order. You know, if you have a weak character, put him in the back so he doesn't get hit as much. I thought that was kind of pretty interesting. I haven't seen any games that I've, I've played on the Coco that have done it that way. I don't even know how popular that kind of a sequence would be on other RPGs on other platforms. Now he's um, erasing and then redrawing. Yeah, he's using draw statements for this completely. I draw statements. I thought it was the get and put. No. So I was just wondering, does he need to erase? Maybe he can just keep putting if it was a Well, putting you definitely could. And, uh, you know, that's how, uh, you know, Alan Huffman will be doing it in another story coming up. Yeah just to get rid of that erase cycle. Yeah. But yeah, that's getting put. Okay, it's different. Yeah, uh, this is just straight draw. Basically, it just changes the color to the background and draws it and then immediately redraws it with the new position. Or you can do a get and put in the, uh, a draw rather and then and get it. So you yeah. can do get puts later. Yeah, those are a couple different ways. It would definitely be smoother, not as flickery doing it that way. I agree. Um, but I know he's planning on having a second screen. He's going to put the map on and then just page flip. And the map's going to be higher res. It's going to be like a P-Mode 4, black and white. So I, he's still playing around with, you know, how he's going to do things. And I'm, I'm sure he'll, you know, kind of figure out things as he goes like he normally does. That's how you learn. Yep, exactly. Next up, we have Keith March, who is actually in the chat. And uh, he'd actually texted me on Discord here, uh, to let us know that he's got a GitHub set up with hardware files for the MM1 by IMS. You guys might remember that if you're around the Cocos in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. As well as links to hardware that will work with it, including the Blue SCSI from Joe's Computer Museum, uh, which was really designed for the Mac, but you can actually buy and it works on M1. And Joel Evie actually posted about that in the MM1 group on Facebook. But basically what he's been doing is he's going through schematics and he's been going through the original MM1 hardware manuals, doing corrections when needed. And then he's been starting to work on replacement parts. So he's trying to get his back up. And I think he had mentioned in Discord recently, this morning or last night, that he's actually got his MM1 partly booting again. And then he's, uh, you know, he's going to keep going on this here, but he's got pictures like Pedro's been helping along with this as well. Uh, so he's been doing, you know, some board replacements for adding stuff. Wait for that to load. So there's, there's the minibus daughter yeah. board type thing. Now, you guys that have MM1s probably know more, a lot more about this than I do. I just saw them at Fest. I never had one. 
that uh, ties in the two boards on the one bus. Yeah, because one was called the I.O. board, one was the main CPU yeah, memory board right. or something. I don't There's know memory expansions up to 9 meg and all kinds of things, I remember. Yeah, I don't know what extras his board does. I don't know much about it. And here's a thing for laying out if you want to do a conversion cable to run the M1 on a CM8. So if you have the Tandy RGB monitor, you can just use this okay. to plug it straight in. Anyway, this is a, a GitHub that he's going to keep updating as he goes. And eventually he's going to be doing some software stuff in here too, like, you know, maybe updated drivers, et cetera, as well. So it'd be interesting to see if this goes. Because I've seen a few people have gotten their M1s back out again. So Joel Evie's been obviously, you know, he copied everything off his old SCSI drive that was dying onto the blue SCSI, which uses SD cards. And he's got everything fully up and running on there. And now Keith is doing this. And I think David Ladd's talked about he should get his back up and running. And uh, since these different people are getting the machines back up and running, if they can recover the software, they have the hard drives on their floppies, they can kind of like archive it all. And then anybody who has an M1 or gets one can fire it up and actually start using some of this stuff. And I think, Nick, you got one recently too, didn't you? Yeah, I haven't done much with it yet. But and it, well, it you're kind of you're kind of busy with a game that you know Ken and I demand you finish first. So yeah, well, that's right. I've been uh, <laughs> ransacked me. <laughs> so it's really cool to see that he's got this up here. So any of you have M ones, uh, I would definitely go check out this site. Uh, He's got stuff like a prototype that actually allows it to work with a newer ATX power supply instead of the old AT style. Um, so you can actually start using modern equipment like the Blue SCSI and the uh, ATX power supplies, et cetera, to power it up if that's some of the things that have failed on your own or are failing. Next up, Alan Huffman has been more busy than Jim Mary this week. Um, and Alan usually goes in bursts. I even invited him to come on the show today if he could, because uh, honestly, he's got so much stuff here. I'd rather have him talk about it all. But basically, um, he'd kind of shown that tank animation that he was doing based on the Vic 20 game he wrote, because he had a Vic 20 before he ever got a Coco. And this is doing you know suggestions from multiple people from that last one where he's added in sound, he's added in get put buffers that actually are longer or taller than the actual tank is itself. So it'll automatically wipe out the trail behind it. And then he added tank tread marks in the snow instead of just being a straight blank. So it actually the tank will leave a trail. And then he set up the program so that if you're idling the tank, it'll make the sound fairly slow paced. And if you're actually driving around, it's faster. So this is also the beginning of a game, I think. And this uses this technique of poking in the data into the actual get put array. Yeah, and you spin the tank there and it doesn't wipe everything out. So he's actually got the uh, joystick placement registering the fact that if you have it all the way you move, and if you don't, then you just turn. Or maybe he's using the button for it. He doesn't really explain there. And I'd have a chance to go through the code. But This is one that was posted on Facebook. So originally, <clears throat> I think it was Carlos Camacho found a, a link to a BBC micro program. Now, BBC is rather famous for having a really good basic. And uh, this was uh, using mathematical algorithms to basically create a galaxy map, like you're looking at a Hubble deep field or something like that. And it actually does a pretty good job. And the program is actually not that long. It's maybe, I don't know, 40 lines of basic code or something like that. A lot of <clears throat> math. So Nick and I hate it automatically, but uh, does a good job. What and man. basically the challenge from Carlos was, could you convert this over to the to Coco? And Alan took a stab at it. And the first thing he had to do is figure out, you know, here's the original program from the BBC Micro. 
And then he had to go through and try to figure out what commands are different and how are they different. So there's a whole list here of stuff that he was kind of figuring out here, what the equivalents are, is there an equivalent, et cetera. So he did a first attempt at trying to get the cocoa to do it from what he understood. And this is the result he got, which is a little bit different. <clears throat> so he asked if anybody else would be able to do it as well. And uh, sure enough, uh, that got answered. And Paul Shoemaker got the code working under uh, basic here. And you can actually see that his version. Now, the, the random seed on the BBC Micros basic is differently. It's generated differently than the Cocoa one. And basically, if you change the random initial seed value, you will get a different galaxy map, even on the BBC Micro, because they have a certain one they hard code in. I think it's negative 64. So the Cocoa defaults to something different for its seed. But basically, if you force both of them to use the same starting number, it will generate roughly the same map. And in this case here, he actually bumped the res up. He did a Cocoa 3 one with 640 by 200. Or, sorry, 640 by 194 color. Uh, the BBC's, I think, is 320 by 256 color because of the PAL. And um, But he basically, yeah, he got it working. And I'm Joel Evie actually mentioned he's going to convert it to basic on the M1. I might, if I get some time in the future here, I might take a stab at it myself. Because like, as I showed you the program before on, on Alan's blog, it's not that big. And Basic 9 has some of the extra uh, logarithm commands that you have to translate in, in regular extended basic that the BBC Micro has, and Basic 9 already has those built in too. So it actually should be a little bit easier. I'd be interested to see what the speed is. I'm guessing this is not that fast even on the micro, BBC Micro because it's it's a fairly intensive math floating point thing here, and it's got to generate pixel yeah, by I pixel was, basically. I was running it, yeah, I was running it on the emulator, and mm -hmm. it's it's uh, slower than molasses going uphill in January. Um <laughs> You know, to get that to get that star field, you pretty much got to run it for a day. A day. Yeah, that, that's okay. what I was seeing. Is that is that the Cocoa version or is that on the uh, BBC? No, that's version? on the BBC. That's on the BBC. Uh, the BBC emulator. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm wondering, right at the top here, it says ten o uh, ten eight o six s. Is that the number of seconds it takes to generate? That's the number of seconds. Okay. Well, like now I got a challenge. I got to make it run faster on a Coco. So. <laughs> 6309, base 9, here we come. Right. <laughs> I know I've done a few little uh, comparison videos between those, and uh, we definitely were faster on doing some of the Mandelbrot stuff. So, my do taste an assembly. Well, you could do that if you want, but we we're trying to compare apples to apples, right? Right. Because the BBC Micro could obviously rewrite this. And what, what is the BBC Micro? That's a Z Z80? Z80. Yeah, three and a half or four megahertz. Boy, uh, yeah, I think that's it. That was a 6502 or ARM. Yeah, actually, I think you're right. 6502. Okay, what does anybody know if it's a one or two megahertz? <clears throat> I think it's a two. Okay, so that's rivaling yeah, the Cobalt 3 it, then. Yeah. yeah, I remember it running oh. faster. I'm they sorry. It, over. it doesn't take all day, it only takes three hours and six minutes or three hours and six Where? seconds. It just seems like all day when you're watching it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like this show. <laughs> so anyway, if anybody here is familiar with enough with Base Nine to punch it in and, and convert whatever needs to be converted here, wants to beat me to the punch because I'm kind of busy with work these days, but uh, feel free and post it on the uh, as a response Facebook group. If not, I'll try to get to it in the next couple of weeks here because I'm kind of curious how how good the uh, Base Nine will run comparatively to it, uh, especially with the six three nine version, which does have some optimizations for math. And then uh, this is kind of getting into the weeds uh, about the BBC port of that program because he basically found out that uh, 
disk extended basic or just plain extended basic only has one version of the logarithm command and the bbc micro has two there's a log and log 10 and basic nine has both of those i think it's called natural logarithm and 10 log i can't i'm not a math guy i don't understand this stuff anyway um you smarter people out there can let me know but basically he goes through what what is the difference between these and how do you calculate to switch between the two of them if you if you have to so he does a little mini article kind of explaining the difference this is a kind of a cool one too. Uh, anybody who knows Alan and knows that he's a huge science fiction fan, he uh, does a lot of stuff uh, at the shows dating back to Coco Fest in the '90s, where he's doing a lot of stuff based on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for example. He was carrying his towel. He had his you know house coat on, just like Arthur Dent. <clears throat> but he's also a huge Doctor Who fan. So back in 1986, he wrote a demo program where he drew the Doctor Who uh, logo itself, and uh, I think it was Coco Max. And then he actually did four voice music trying to match the uh, theme music um, using Musica. Now, at this point, he was not uh, he was not a um, learning to read sheet music. So he did this pretty well by ear, as he mentioned in his blog post. So he was basically just trying to figure it out, listening to the actual TV show and then trying to figure out what notes match when he put them into music and actually created the theme music that way, which is insane. Um, and here's a screenshot of the music itself, but actually it turned out pretty good. Now it's just got a static thing in the background, a nice little graphic here of the Doctor Who, US, um, you know, logo at the time of whichever Doctor he was watching on. I can't remember off the top of my head. I thought I'd play a little bit here. Jelly Baby Software. That's perfect. Yeah. Oh, I should mention he does not have his real name attached to this on purpose because he was worried about getting sued um, by the people that make Doctor Who for stealing music and or the logo. Um, so he, you know, published it as if it was some sort of hack job, but he actually found the source. So if you want to get the actual source to it, you can, you can see that. That's not bad. Yeah, no, he did a pretty good transcription. No, I mean, and I like the, the fact he actually... Yeah, he actually used some of the waveform capabilities of music. We can identify each note with different waveforms to get that kind of warbly or vibrato, I guess would probably be the best way to describe it. Anyway, before we get sued for doing it, let's <laughs> stop. Mm -hmm. But definitely go check it out. And like I said, the, C, the source code listing that actually draws the logo and stuff here is actually included, and he covers it in his blog too. But yeah, to, to punch that in by ear when you don't know how to read music and you're using a, a music editing program that is sheet music, basically, that's pretty impressive. I never went that far. Another one, now this is kind of a fob. So he did a whole series on how to optimize basic to run faster uh, with variables in particular. And he decided to do a fob to kind of like report actual numbers and to see what the main differences are. So this is using the hexadecimal technique. So internally basic, when you do hex, with the ampersand H, need extended basic or higher for this. It, it it has optimized routines because when you're dealing with, you know, converting a decimal number to the internal floating point, it's got to do stuff in powers of 10, which CPUs don't really do naturally. And uh, hex is done naturally by nibble. You know, zero to F is basically four bits, one byte, half a byte. So we actually ran here just, you know, doing some timing stuff using the 60 uh, hertz timer. And that's what the time thing is here, doing some uh, loops with, you know, doing calculations, et cetera. And he kind of shows what the difference in speed is. So the one on the left here, this two here, this is the decimal 0 through 11. 
And then the, the amount of uh, V-Sync ticks, basically, to do whatever math he was using, using those. And then he's got the hexadecimal versions as well. And then he's got, what is the speed difference? So you can see when you're dealing with the, the, the number zero itself, it's 1524 on a straight decimal. It's down to 1407. So it's 7.68% faster. And then from one to nine is just marginally faster, like 0.14 up to 0.94 type thing percent. So not a huge difference. But look at the difference as soon as you start hitting double digits. You know, X is still doing single digits. So it's basically using the same routine it was over here. But if a decimal going up to 10 and 11, it suddenly jumps up to 28% faster, 32% faster. Now you're starting to talk real numbers here. And then he has a bit of an addendum here. He adds the little, uh, the cheat of doing a zero. The fastest way you can do a zero in floating point on the Cocoa and Microsoft Basic is to just put a period. Because then it doesn't have to interpret numbers at all. And it just goes, if it's just a period, it's a zero. And that's actually faster than doing it in hex. Uh, you know, a fair bit faster. So it's down to like 1212 on the count versus 1405 even in the hex mode and, you know, 1524 on decimal. So that's, a, if you're writing basic programs, you want to optimize, uh, if you can fit your numbers into hex and that's signed 16 bit, basically, um, then definitely you should do it if you can, because you will save some time, especially with anything that's more than a single digit long. Um, you'll start seeing like 25% speed increases on the math routines. That of course won't affect your whole program, but it, it definitely might be worth it if you're doing a lot of calculations. Like say on that star drawing thing, I don't know how many integers are in there though. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because the hex uh, the difference between the characters and the uh, uh, binary equivalents you'd use for the math are just bit masking. So it just takes them and whacks off the bits and it has the binary number. Yeah, and then you can shift it for if you need to, if it's the high nibble yeah. or the low nibble. Yeah. yeah. Versus yeah. decimal where you have to like, you know, you can do the shift and add, mm -hmm. you know, some complicated things to try to get it done, but it's definitely not, not as easy and not as efficient. Yep. yep. Next up, he did another one here, um, and this one's on Facebook only. He didn't make a blog post on his own site, Subitha Software. And this was to compare the composite and RGB colors for the basic eight colors in XROR uh, for the Cocoa 3, both RGB and composite, and then XROR for the composite Cocoa 1 and 2. And he gives a little, little demo program just to basically do stripes, but there's some pretty big differences between them. Um, so like Cocoa 3, RGB, I think, is this one because that's much more brighter colors. But you can see like the cyan, this is what I'm kind of more used to. Um, it looks more greenish here, and this looks almost like pure green. So there's definitely some differences there from the way the real hardware would do uh, work. And also, you know, big differences between composite and RGB and just between the Cocoa 3 part of XOR and the Cocoa 1 and 2 part of XOR. So I don't know if uh, I, I, there's a, a story come up here where Karen's actually released a new version of XOR. I didn't get a chance to look at the notes to see if this is anything that's affected by it or not, but... Just interesting uh, the amount of difference. Did did this spawn from uh, Rick Adams' uh, conversation on the Discord, where he was asking about a color palette? I don't think so, but it might have. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I do remember that because he was asking for the translation table between RGB to comps. Yeah. And basically, everybody has their own version. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. everybody's TV was a little bit different, or their monitors slightly, you know, tint tints differently, or something like that. So. Right. As I say, NTSC composite means never the same color twice, and that's pretty accurate. And then the last one he did here, it was going through the way basic handles colors and color numbers uh, for various Puma resolutions and also screen uh, command color sets, so your 01 
for graphics screens, and then how they match the low res color numbers, which is your set reset graphics, which is you know zero is black, and then one through eight is your green through orange. And he, I guess he'd never really realized before, but the numbers that Basic will accept are exactly the same. So if you want a cyan, you can put in six and a set reset. You can put in six in a P mode three comma one, and they specifically designed basic so that you would just have to remember the colors once now you don't have to use those and internally that's not what it actually does so if you try to do say a, a yellow but you're on screen one comma one the second color set you're not going to get a yellow it's going to map back to a cyan i guess um but they specifically did this so that if you're translating stuff from low res to high res or high res to low res and back the colors will match as long as you have your color sets right and this one little picture here kind of describes it so the outside border area here is kind of the two color modes so this would be like a green background color set zero white background color set one which is what most artifact colors are based on and then the middle chunk here is your colors for color set zero and one for the four color modes like p mode one and p mode three so color you know one two three four five six seven eight and if you go to set reset graphics and you do colors, you know, one, that's green. Color two is yellow. Color seven is magenta. Color eight is orange. So they exactly match. So if you're trying to translate stuff between, say, an old color basic program up to an extended basic program, you can use literally the same color codes, even though that's not technically what's going on under the hood. But Microsoft Basic actually will let you do the direct translation without having to change any of those numbers. Uh, next up, Carlos Camacho also posted here um, a zip file. And this is based on an interesting French article he found talking about GCC cross-development for the Thompson M07, M08. Now, I know there's been some GCC cross-platform stuff for the Cocoa and the Dragon before. I did not know about the stuff for the Thompsons. And this is based on GCC version 2.95.3. And this came from France. So the original article is in French. Uh, so he created a zip file here. You can go download from the uh, Color Computer Group in Facebook. And basically it has the original PDF of the original French article. Then he's got a translation to English and he's got some supplementary uh, data there. So if you want to read up on how the translation or the cross-platform uh, compilation from GCC to the Thompson 6809 based system works and some Thompson specific stuff that they do, it's a pretty interesting article to go through. I don't have a Thompson, so I obviously that's not too much use to me at this point. But if you have emulators, et cetera, or if you have a Thompson M07 or M08, this would be pretty cool. So you can actually develop C code on a modern machine and have it cross-compile right to the Thompson. Next up, Erico Montero. I don't know if he's still in the chat. Yes, he is. I just saw him. Um, he did a blog post, and he also did a couple live Discord streams this week, uh, kind of showing, based on the... Um, tank demo that alan had done alan huffman uh he wanted to see if we could get some artifact colors and stuff working for it so he's kind of been doing some experimenting and he did some live experimenting with it live in the air on discord if you were watching the discord stream and then he kind of goes through and shows how his artifacting works i think this is a photoshop style thing where you can actually control the extra colors where you can you know better predict how to get yellows and greens and some other things now when you're trying to do a, an eight by eight pixel tank in artifact colors which because of artifacting reduces it basically to an effective four by eight that's kind of difficult so um and they kind of went through and tried to do some side ones and he's got some backgrounds but then he did some little animations here showing him you know drawing screens here and this is using ug basic um which we've got a whole channel and that's actively being developed that's a cross-platform development system too uh i think mark you probably know a bit more about it than i do i haven't ever tried it or anything but it's basically, it's, it's almost like a basic compiler that's cross-platform. So it's fairly quick. 
what I understand. And has Coco 3 functions and stuff now in it too, but you can see this. He's creating this uh, map grid here based on 8x8 eight eight artifacted tiles, basically. And then he throws a couple of tanks, side-facing tanks, stuff using artifacting colors as well. So that's kind of like following an Alan's tank demo and then, you know, adding a bunch of extra stuff to it, including a you know, background maps, et cetera. So that's really cool. And it was fun watching him, you know, fiddle with artifact colors, trying to get the right effects that he wanted and getting flustered, just like when I try to draw graphics for games too. It's it's definitely not my favorite thing to do in the world. Nick's much better at it. He would laugh at me hysterically if he watched me try to draw stuff. In fact, I think he did. I'm um, laughing right now. <laughs> So yeah, I'm hoping to see Alan and Eric Eric actually collaborate here and, and just see what kind of a game they can come up with. Eric's pretty really good at the graphics. He's done a lot of uh, semi-graphic stuff too. So it'd be interesting to see what uh, he can do with it and then also interesting to see where Alan can take it as far as the program goes. Next up, we have uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes, who will be, of course, a guest speaker at the VCF SoCal in a month. And, of course, he's been porting Fujinet to Coco. So what he's posted about here, and he posted about it on Facebook, but I'm showing you the actual GitHub page. Um, he wants people to try the Fujinet hardware for early testing because they've got a couple versions they've gone through, and this is actually basically the instructions on how to make one. And this is basically what the board is, and he tells you what parts to get and all that kind of stuff here. So he's asking for anybody with hardware skills that wants to help test this kind of stuff. Here's this schematic to build the uh, the prototype boards if you want to do that and, and um, maybe start helping with the development and or bug testing. Um, now, of course, uh, you've got Rick, who's a bit of a rival here with the uh, other one that him and Henry and a few others are working on too, which is more of a generic it's Ethernet rather Ethernet. than... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is more uh, software-enhanced networking to do, like, you know, grabbing files off the net and stuff, but it's not totally generic. This is um, designed to use the built-in hardware on the Coco. So it basically bootstraps through the cassette port, and then it uses a serial port to basically link to the ESP32. So it's yeah. I'm imagining it can boot off the SD card eventually too, right? Um, um, so there's so. there's been a discussion that uh, been a discussion about what to do with that um, over on the uh, over on the uh, Fujinet side, and okay. what they're actually talking about doing is ditching that uh not tom but the other uh but another gentleman who's involved with this um they're talking about ditching the whole idea of doing the of using the cassette port and just going ahead and doing the whole thing through the cartridge port having the uh having the esp32 load the information uh load the information through the car uh cartridge port do the boot up and bring up that way you'll still hmm. dongle into the serial port but um that's about all you're going to need to do once they get that working i have gotten enough motivation that um, I'm actually going to order a board and see if I can't get that uh, get those supplies. The problem they've been having is that the cassette port, the cassette thing, doesn't want to work when the Wi-Fi has been configured. So I'll grab that. Um, probably I'll probably have everything I need for that within the next week or two, and we'll see what what what, what winds up happening. Okay, yeah. If you can keep us up to date on that, actually, because uh, I I just don't have time to look at everything. Can you say depth. video ideas? <laughs> I knew you could. <laughs> so basically, we'll have you on your next video here on the on next week's show when you've got this all built up and tested, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, not next week's show because I won't I won't necessarily have it by next week. I still got to source everything, and uh, I don't want to pay thirty five dollars in ship or thirty five dollars in shipping. So the PC boards might take a while. Okay. Yeah. Let me talk about JLC and shipping. <laughs> hey, I used JLC last time, and it wasn't too bad. Well, yeah, but if they cancel part of an order, they still ship 
like twenty dollars worth of boards with ninety eight dollars worth of shipping. So ah. I'm yeah. a little irritated at them just this week. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Are they as bad as UPS shipping chocolate bars? That's my question. Well, yeah, because it's overseas shipping. So, yeah, $20 worth of boards, $100 worth of shipping. Considering how long it took to get there, in my case, I think they went for overseas shipping, even though it was just supposed to cross well, yeah, Canada and the States. I'll, I'll get it quick enough, but you're going <laughs> to lose money on every part. So, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, to continue on here, Eddie Malfris uh, picked up a uh, estate sale that was not Steve Bjork's, from what I understand. And uh, there's a bunch of cocoa stuff in there. Uh, most of it's stuff we've seen before. There's a few manuals and stuff he found that aren't scans. I mentioned that to him. He's going to try to scan those. I think he's even got a few rainbow and tapes or rainbow and discs that are not on the archive yet. So that'll save some people some typing. But this is one he actually asked me about. Um, it's a thing called 58 Cocoa Programs. And for the audio listeners, we're looking at the actual cassette. It says copyright PDPware 1983, all programs in basic for the Rayshack Color Computer. And it looks to be a hodgepodge of maybe some public domain, some uh, older stuff that was written basic by some of the you know established Cocoa people back in the early, early 80s. Uh, there's some stuff from like DSL, for example, Dennis Lewandowski's uh, software and hardware outfit. And uh, he actually managed to throw up a couple screenshots of the things they found space of it. Now, I, he did find there was an ad for a three-pack or something of early, early DSL uh, programs, and that was one of the ones mentioned. But there's also uh, supposedly a 20-pack, too, and stuff. So it looks like some of this just might be old stuff that uh, kind of got amalgamated, but it also looks like maybe some you know public domain. I'm trying to find the other screenshot. Yeah, here's a Hangman game he found, for example. And here's another one called Othello. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious to see what's on there. There might be some stuff we've never seen before. It might even contain some stuff that was early, early releases that I've been trying to find from my site that were sold separately in 8081 type thing. And then, you know, eventually as machine language games kind of took over, they probably got relegated to one of these you know, packs because Spectral did the same thing. <clears throat> we might be able to fill in some holes. And he has found a couple of programs that definitely are not on the archive. And I definitely do not have, by except mentioning on my site that they're missing. <clears throat> the one that he found was um, Animated Hangman, which is by Soft Sector Incorporated. Now, this is a company that originally started the Model 1 and the 3. And uh, they eventually did a few things like they sold some of the rugby circle stuff like Color Caterpillar um, was actually sold, you know, the Cosentipede clone that the rugby circle did was sold through them. And they had a few other games too um, that you know, we have seen. But the very first game they ever made for the Coco was called Animated Hangman from 81. And I could not find that one anywhere. And that's actually one of the ones he got in this collection. So we will be filling in some more holes. So thank you very much, very much to Eddie for finding that and, and getting that estate sale. Well, it's in there, but you have to have the proper cassette deck. So you'll notice in that earlier article, the man put in the tape and reset the index counter so he yeah. could find game 54 <clears throat> on this tape. <laughs> yeah. I will say, though, that since Eddie's actually ran several of these already, I think he's got it cased. So as long as that tape's not damaged, we should have it. And he actually has the original. It's not a co pirated copy. It actually is the original soft sector marketing. I just exactly. remember looking looking at these things and groaning. There's 58 different spots on this tape. I'm going to have to hit. <laughs> yeah, we may not get them all back. That's true. <laughs> Next up, I noticed that um, Micro Hobbyist, uh, Frederick's actually in the chat, and he, of course he's been working on his 639 board, and he got kind of delayed a week because he had a bit of a problem where the program was you know partly working, but then would do weird things and crash. And after a week of frustration trying to figure out, he finally figured out that two address lines got inverted. So once the code crossed over a certain threshold, it would start screwing up. 
<clears throat> and he was asking me to debug. Uh, he sent me some of the source code he did uh, to test. And I'm looking at there's nothing wrong with this. I have no idea why this is not working. And it turned out to be a couple of lines got crossed. Kind of, uh, it's uh, like trying to program Apple II graphics. That's basically what it's like. <laughs> so anyway, this is another 609 project. Uh, this one's done by, uh, what the heck is his name? David Collins. So he's been doing his own homebrew 6309-based machine. And this is not using an E version. This is using one with the internal clock. And he's done a couple of updates this week. So the first was um, he did an article, and this is on Hackaday.io, I should mention. Uh, starting the bus with an Arduino without a latch. And so the article basically covers uh, bus arbitration on the 6809-6309. I won't you know, more, go through the details here because, quite frankly, I don't understand them. But there's a big article he wrote. And then he's just started as of yesterday or the day before working on the firmware. So he's actually got a GitHub started. Most of it's the hardware type stuff, but he's just starting to put the firmware on there. And he's, he's kind of new to 6309, so he's just kind of figured it as he goes, but he's got to start on it. And I think Frederick, now that he's got his problem on his uh, homebrew board for 6309, you should be seeing a video coming out from him probably not too far in the future here. <clears throat> and then the other one, uh, last set of stories here for the Dragon. Um, there's a new version of XROAR that has been released and it's XROAR 1.5. Now the major points that Karen mentions here in his post on the world of dragon forms is that the fast ROM intercept based printing on the Coco and the MC 10 MPI multi-pack interface slot config move from Google to per cart added screenshot to ping from menu or control shift S. You can save screenshots directly out without needing a third party program or, you know, operating system link to do it. Various gimme improvements, because of course XRO is supposed to code three now, and other fixes. And uh, that was posted on there. And then here's the actual more expanded notes. Uh, if you go to www.6809.org.uk slash XRO, you can actually get the latest 1.5 version for several different operating systems, I believe. And uh, he mentions he's got uh, ability to change the picture area, seeing more or less border, which is nice because a lot of the emulators cut the border off too much, frankly. And some of the Coco 3 games that actually use border for like a status report for a Star Trek game or something, you can't even see it. Um, added optional 60 hertz vertical scaling. Uh, Kieran, if you're still in the chat, is that based on what Coco Town figured out as far as the uh, pixel ratios go? Kind of curious. And uh, and then a bunch of other things. He gets in some more you know, technical details. You can read the full amount of what's on there from his change log on his uh, website. But anyway, go go download that. It's got a lot of bug fixes and stuff on it. So I haven't had a chance to download and try it myself yet. Has anybody on the panel got an XWR 1.5 so far? Not yet. I will soon. Didn't realize it was out, but I'm going to download it. Okay. There's another reason to join the World of Dragon, because you'll get the news there first. <laughs> <laughs> and 8-Bits in the Basement, who was early in the chat, too. I don't know if he still is. It's... Probably pretty late there. And uh, this is the first video he's made in a while, and he kind of explains, you know, what's been going on, et cetera, here too. But uh, he's been kind of taking some stuff that he recorded earlier but never really finished and fully polished up. So he's actually got uh, – he's going to have a few of these videos coming out. And this one here is titled Using the Coco SDC Like a Ninja Without the SDCX Explorer. And then parentheses, well, ninjas wouldn't use it like that. And this basically is going through the actual basic extensions that SDC DOS does for manipulating disk images. So how do you get a list of what images you have? How do you navigate through directories? How do you assign a disk image to a drive? How do you unmount it 
uh, that type of stuff here. So I won't bother playing the video here, but it basically goes through that. If you want to see that explanation of how to do it, it's all there. Um, there's more he could do. There's uh, definitely some more stuff like dealing with multi-disc images and stuff like that. But uh, if you want to kind of learn how to do this stuff without the STC Explorer, and if you have a 16K extended base of Cocoa that you plug in STC in, you pretty well have to do it this way because the STC Explorer program is too big to run the 16K machine. You need at least 32. This will let you go through the disk images just like the STC Explorer does, just manually. It kind of reminds you more like DOS commands. And that's it for the news this week. Oh, okay. Reconfigure screens. Like that. Oh, that was everything I had on the agenda. Yep, that's all I got. Like I said, I found out I have to drive some people somewhere here. Uh, Let's start all over again. Okay, Rand's hosting the next four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, Tiki mentioned in the uh, chat here too, he said, no, oddly enough, I'd already done that in XROAR at the time he started poking at it in MAME talking about the pixel ratio, so he independently came up with that. He also mentions... um, had been sad in Git snapshot builds my machine for a while, so we apparently did it a while ago. Those gimme updates means a lot more. Possibly all Cocoa Three Cart games will now run properly because I know there were some problems with the ROM mapping and stuff. There's so some were failing. Um, I think that's all he mentioned there. So just some updates from from Karen. Okay, I think I caught okay. up the chat. All right, all right. Uh, let's see in the chat, Jim. I don't know, uh, Tim Franklin. Takuda was that chickadees? Cicadas. Cicadas. The different ones that come out. Chickadees are cute little birds, and cicadas are those ugly orange alien looking grasshopper things. Well, and usually they come out in in... awful racket. You know those things things are louder than louder than the OSHA limits for industrial noise. If you hold one (laughs) next to your ear, it will deafen you. And yeah. usually the species come out in different years, but they all come together this year. So that's why. Yeah, several different species that normally one has a seven year cycle or 17 so, year so cycle. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Does that mean that we've got several species of small furry animals all gathered together in a, in a cave and grooving with a picked? That's not here. <laughs> furry insects, close. Is, uh, <laughs> does that mean we need to bring some extra cans of uh, off? Uh, Propane or something? No, they they don't attack you. <laughs> oh, they just they make a lot of noise. I got to experience a cicada swarm when I was in uh, Cincinnati last time when I was on a business trip, and I was making a business trip based on my camper because I was visiting about eight clients in four different states. That particular trip so it was a lot cheaper okay. than flying. And my campground had cicadas coming out like mad. It was awesome trying to sleep that day. Oh, yeah. Wow! So loud you okay. won't even hear it. <laughs> so loud you won't even hear it. Okay, let's but in the city you should be fine. <laughs> and I don't think cicadas would survive Chicago traffic, from what Ken and I have seen. You'd be surprised, <laughs> right? Yeah. Enough of them. All right, so They're like ready cockroaches. For, ready for the outro then? Yeah. Okay. Push your button, Frank. This concludes another episode of the Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show. Featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation.
to D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. Well, uh, that's it. Uh, Hi, everybody. Glenn Dahlgren on for an interview next week. Be here, be square.